in a World, the year 2023. Happy New Year, everyone. Brian the Movie Guy here, along with co-host extraordinaire Cody Wilfong. And on today's podcast, we're not going through one movie, not two movies, not even three. No, we're going through a lot more than that. We are going through 2023. All the movies we have talked about, all the movies we have seen this year is up on the table. Nothing is off the table in terms of discussion. Um, we have seen a lot of good movies. We have seen a lot of bad movies. Some movies I'd love to see over and over again. Some movies I will be very glad to never see again. Um, but before we get into that, um, I just want to, again, we want to thank everyone for listening throughout the year. We want to thank all of our new listeners for coming along and joining us through this journey. And um, it's been a hell of a ride. It's been a hell of a year, a crazy year for movies. We've had a lot of ups and downs, delays. Um, We've received things that I never expected us to get in theaters. And then we have received things that I wish we never seen in theaters. But uh, there's only one way to discuss that. And that's right here, right now in a world. Hello, everyone. Brian, the movie guy here, along with co-host extraordinaire Cody Wilfong. And we are here to say Happy New Year. How's it going, Cody? Good, how are you? Oh, you know, I'm here, and we are... We're here to wrap up the year, 2023. This is the last episode of the year, or the first one, depending on when this releases. I'm going to have this released on New Year's Eve. It doesn't make sense to have it on the very first of the year. Even though probably most of these people won't hear it until 2024. But we will talk a little bit about 2024, this podcast. Just a little bit, though. Um... But today, we're going to focus on all the movies we've watched in 2023. Um, um, To put into context of uh, roughly every... How many many weeks are in a year? 52 weeks in a year? Mm, Yeah. Okay, so that is usually my goal in a single year is to watch at least 52 brand new movies that have come out. 52 podcasts. Close to it. Well, I guess so. Yeah, that makes sense now, I guess. But um, <laughs> <laughs> So that means we've had well over 100 episodes now. Yeah. We all have to go look into that because I really want to know what our 100th episode is. Well, no, because we, we've yeah. we've skipped some weeks here and there before. So we're probably not We're close. Long. We need to look it up and decide what our 100th episode will be. But... It's got to be a good movie. Oh, it has to be a great movie. But, um, yeah, so... Dude, where's my car? No. <laughs> Absolutely and not. Then? <laughs> and then? But uh, to put into context um, how this year went for that goal, uh, 52 weeks of the year, I have officially seen, according to Letterboxd and my records, 63 movies. So, yeah, I beat that record, or I beat that goal, so yay me. Um, I've seen a lot of different things. A, a lot of it... Um, was either independent and I got to see it in like, uh, for instance, the Little Art Theater, or some of it I had to go to Regal. Uh, so a lot of it um, here in town, but uh, some of it streaming, you know, because that's just kind of the way the movies are these days. Um, but I tried to see everything theatrically uh, throughout the year at least once, but sometimes I can't always go out to the theater so sometimes i have to depend on hbo or netflix or shit like that uh 63 movies seen this year um some of them great some of them not so great 
Out of the one, 63 I've seen, only 14 are movies I would rather not see again or that were just completely disappointing this year. Um, out of the 63, only three of them got a 5 out of 5 stars by me on Letterboxd. Um, which, that, that, if you, hint, hint, that's our, the top three of the year for me. Uh, what they are, we will get to eventually. But for now, yeah, let's get into it. We will not talk about the ones we hate first. We will get to those last. Uh, but first, as I've mentioned, I did see the, uh, 63, but there were a lot of other movies, because I don't know how many movies come out in a year. Um, if there's 52 weeks in a year, then want, we can we can safely say at least two movies. Yeah, you can look up the average, but we can say that at least two movies come out every week a year. Um, but we know that it depends on uh, movies that come straight out to digital release, or ones that come out to disc, or ones that are uh, Netflix theatrical only. Uh, you were way off. What news? It's uh, 2,000 to 2,500. Damn. Okay, so, but how many are that good or worth watching, though? That's They're the thing. Pro- that's produced globally. That's globally. Okay, well, that makes more sense then. Again, though, who knows how many of them are like... And this includes films, documentaries, and other types of cinema. Well, the, we're not counting all those. Like, the, the, there are... I respect documentaries, but I don't talk about documentaries on here because... That's like a whole different kind of film that I just like. That's that's just that's a whole different concept. Here's a better um, <laughs> number. In 2019, between Canada and the United States, there was 792 movies released in 2019. Okay, so how uh, we how I how ever many there are still there are plenty I've missed clearly. Uh, here are ten though that I missed this year. That uh, I really wanted to see, and for one reason or another, I just didn't either. They weren't playing around here, uh, I didn't get a chance to see them, or there were technical difficulties. Uh, the first one uh, to mention up that I sadly got to miss was Ferrari. I was going to go see it today, but I actually got mixed up in another movie today, which crazily ran right into my top ten list uh, today. So, only seen it once, but I was just... It's a movie that I don't know why more people aren't talking about it or have talked about it, but it's probably going to be one of those ones, like, like let's say, five years down the line that people, like, rediscover and say, why is no one talking about this or have talked about it? Cult classic. Yeah, it's going to be a cult classic for sure. Um, the next movie I didn't get a chance to see, but I've heard many great things about was No One Will Save You with uh, Danielle Panabaker. I think that's who... No, no, it's not Danielle Panabaker. My bad. That stars, um... Ah, uh, what is her name all of a sudden? I cannot think of her name. Caitlin Dever. Caitlin Dever. It stars Caitlin Dever. Um, it is a uh, home invasion film, but with an alien. Um, I've heard about it on a lot of horror film lists. Um, so, yeah, it's one I... I know it's on Hulu, but... I canceled Hulu after a while because a lot of like stuff on Hulu ends up on Disney Plus and yeah, my because girl- Disney Plus just bought Hulu. Yeah, they own it, so it's like because like the creators now on there, so it's like why even bother? Um, but yeah, uh, no one will save you is one that I missed out on. Um, the next one is one that I've heard is like a female Fight Club. It's called Bottoms. 
Uh, Marshawn Lynch ran, is randomly in it, but uh, yeah, I didn't. When it was uh, when it came out, I just I never had time to go out and see it. Um, the next one was Napoleon. It was one I heard mixed things about, but it's still one I'd really like to see just because I do like Ridley Scott and whatnot. Um, the next one on this list is uh, Shin Carmen Rider. Um, it is a Japanese film, and um, it is a I think it's supposed to be a reboot of the Carmen Rider series. Um, it was just like this series I watched as a kid, and so, uh, yeah, it never came over here to the United States, but it's something I really wanted to see. Uh, the next one is also one I know is on, uh, Hulu now, but, uh, it's one I really want to get around, I haven't had a chance to get around to, but it stars Mia Goth, and, uh, she's one of my favorites, and, um, it's called Infinity Pool, um, I've heard a lot of good things about that. The next one, I had so much time to see it. And I just was, it was, Christmas season was its prime time that it was out, and I just didn't have time, and that was Thanksgiving. Uh, it's directed by Eli Roth, it's, uh, I've heard, like, it brings back to the kind of old school slasher feel, so, um, I was sad that I didn't get a chance to go see it. Um, we lost, we, like, got rid of it, like, the weekend I was planning to go see it, so, that kind of sucked. Uh, the next one, it was one that came out recently. But I just, again, just didn't, it didn't, actually, it didn't even come out around here, now that I think about it. It's called American Fiction, though. Um, I've seen trailers and the poster for it, and it was just, I don't know, it seemed really intriguing to me. Uh, the next one is one of those movies that I've heard people say is, like, one of the top films of the year. Uh, it's one of the A24 movies, but again, just something that wasn't, I don't know if it was released around here. I never saw it at Regal or uh, Cinemark or anywhere else, but it's called Past Lives. Uh, didn't get a chance to see that, but I know it's one that's getting a lot of Oscar, it had a lot of Oscar buzz really early on. In the last one, I went to the Little Art to see it, and they were having projector problems, so they had to cancel the show, and they never rescheduled another showing of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a foreign film, and it has rave reviews. It's about, um, like, this woman who's, um, someone dies, and her um, uh, woman's husband, her husband gets murdered, and she's suspected of it, and her blind son is the only one who's the sole witness of it, and so it's about <laughs> his, like, moral dilemma of, like, what to do about it, but it's supposed to be, it's, it's probably going to win best foreign language film this year. But, uh, yeah, I was really upset. I like, cause I was there ready to buy my ticket and they were like, sorry, we can't, I, I get it. You know, you know, shit happens, but come on, you got to be able to fix the projector. You got one screen. You got to fix the projector. They probably don't have digital yet over there. No, they have to, because the movies they show, like, uh, I've seen a lot of, they, they even, well, Oppenheimer, no, there's no way they have spools, spool, spools big enough for Oppenheimer, because they did show Oppenheimer down there, and, man, I couldn't imagine how the, uh, bomb scene was down there, because that's a little tiny theater, hence little art, uh, <laughs> excuse you. Of course it's little art. <laughs> of course it's little, but yeah, those are the films I sadly missed out seeing this year, and so I did want to give them special recognition before we get started, because I figured if I didn't see them, probably you didn't see them more than likely, but I figured if maybe you did, you could 
talk about them right here now, but as we went through that, you didn't seem like you did, so I, I think we're safe to go yeah. through. Yeah, so if you're expecting to hear anything about those movies, sadly not. Uh, they are movies I would like to see in the near future, but sadly I didn't get a chance to this year. So, yeah. Um, and now Sue me. But, uh, yes, on to our next list. So, before we obviously talk about the ten movies of the top ones, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, First and foremost, we got to talk about performances. Um, Obviously, with all these movies, there's always great performers, uh, actresses, and actors. So, instead of doing 10 actors and actresses, I figured we'd just combine them all together and um, just five actors, five actresses. So, um, that's how I decided to split them up. Um, I, I know you probably, I didn't tell you to do a list like that, but if you can think of, like, performances that you particularly liked, uh, feel free to, like, jumble in, because uh, I'm, I'm going to start with the actresses first, and then we'll go into actors. So... The first actress I have listed, though, is uh, Lily Gladstone from um, Killers of the Flower Moon. This is the first... I know this is... I don't think this is her first acting role. I could be wrong. I believe she was in some things before this. But the fact that she's acting opposite Robert De Niro, who, as I've stated, like, my belief is the best American actor of all time, and Leonardo DiCaprio, the best modern actor of all time... um, uh, she's acting beside them, and she's going pound for pound against them. And for someone like, and the only other person who's been able to do that with Leo in recent memory was back in 2013 with Margot Robbie. So it's been 10 years since an actress has been opposite Leo and has been able to just come in and just been the punt, shown that like, yeah, you might be able to hit, but I can hit just as hard. Um, but yeah, I love Lily Gladstone in it. I personally think she's going to, there's going to be debate. Um, I'll just mention her right now, but the next person, one of the other actress I have on this list is Emma Stone from Poor Things. Poor Things is not my kind of movie. Um, I gave it three (laughs) stars because there are aspects. I like William Dafoe in it. I think Emma Stone does really well with it. But it feels like someone watched a Terry Gilliam film and said, I can do this kind of movie too. And then it also kind of made me question, like, is Mark Ruffalo a good actor? Mm. Like, the Mm. thing is, he is a good actor. Like, I've seen him do excellent in movies. But I feel like, um, I don't know, there was something about him that felt a little... I don't know. There, I just didn't like him in the movie, and the movie itself was just. I didn't like the concept of like putting. We won't get it. I won't get into that. But the the main point here is that I did like Emma Stone though in the movie. So that's what I want to focus on is Emma Stone. I know is up for best actress, and I wouldn't be mad if she won. To be honest, like I said, it's one of those movies where um, the actress. The, the actors are better than the movie itself. And that's going to be one movie I talk about here shortly. Um, actually, oh, I should have added that actress on this list. I might actually switch one movie out for it. But um, but yeah, I, it's going to be up to, between Lily Gladstone and Emma Stone for sure. That's my personal belief. I could be wrong. 
Emily Blunt weirdly might get into the race, even though I think she doesn't do much in Oppenheimer, but we can get into that later. Um, the next actress I have on this list is one I seen for the first time, and it was in a horror movie, but I think she just did, um, I think she did amazing, and uh, again, I, I don't think it was her first acting job, but it was the first one I saw her in, and that's uh, Sophie Wilde. She for talk to me. Um, I know she won't get recognized by the Academy or anything. Oh my bad, Brian. <laughs> it's I'm cool. sorry. <laughs> I um, did not realize that was gonna be that loud. Um, I I I know like horror films don't get recognized yeah. by like the Academy and shit like that. But talk to me was like a really good horror film, and I think it's mainly because of how great she is in that film. Because we follow her the pretty much the entire film. And so, um, yeah, I, she, one of my top five, top ten performances for sure. Um, the next one, not so popular. I, if anything, I would switch her out. Uh, maybe, I don't know, but she's honestly the only reason why this movie works that I'm about to mention. And that's Margot Robbie and Barbie. We yeah. mentioned Margot Robbie. Now, she does fantastic, and Barbie's not a bad. I, I know how you feel about Barbie, and uh, I, we've talked more about Barbie behind the scenes, and we'll get into that much later. More about Barbie, but um, Margot Robbie, you needed someone in that role who was going to. You need someone to believe that we are seeing a live, walking doll, and that's what she kind of brings. But then, like. The way she starts becoming a human in that movie, that's what works for me. There's other things that don't work now, especially now that my daughter's made me watch it a thousand times, but oh we'll get into that later. Um, but Margot Robbie, I still think, does a great job in that movie, and I think she's the one who actually sells Barbie to us and Kate McKinnon. Uh, <laughs> um, and the last movie I will mention here... And this one's kind of hard for me because both actresses do really well in it. Because one act, one actress in this movie is playing an actress trying to mirror the other one. And that is uh, Natalie Portman trying to mirror uh, Julianne Moore in the movie May, December. Which, it, it's a really good movie. Um, it's one on Netflix that recently came out, um, I want to say last, this past month or last month, I forget, but, um, yeah, um, both actresses do really well, but I think Natalie Portman might edge out Julianne Moore just a little bit, because I feel like, even though Julianne Moore does a hell of a job, I feel like I've seen Julianne Moore in this kind of role before, but I just can't pinpoint where, um, but Natalie Portman in this, there's something, I feel like I have this weird image of Natalie Portman in my head, but I could be wrong, but, um, I, I, the, how she is in this movie, there was just something about her that I was like, you know what, she's a better actress than I think she is, um, but yeah, I just, I, but then again, I could put Julianne Moore in this spot, it's it's kind of a toss up because they both do really well in that movie and it's it's one of those movies that's an actor's acting movie. Um but those were my five actresses, so here are my five actors now. Um first one I gotta bring up, of course, is probably the guy who's gonna bring it home, Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer as J uh 
J. Robert Oppenheimer. Ugh. Wow, that was disgusting. J. Robert Oppenheimer, though. Um, and the thing is, though, this movie also carries Robert Downey Jr. in that movie, and Robert Downey Jr. kills it in that role. He's an asshole. He's an asshole, and he's not Tony Stark, and that is so important to me for someone who's... Like, when I see Chris Evans now, I don't want to see him as Captain America. So when he pops up in Knives Out and he's an asshole in that, I'm like, good. Like, let him be an asshole. Um, but, um, yeah, but... Yeah, you know who I think did better than Killian Murphy this year? Who? Dave Batista. And uh, the knock on the cabin in the woods? He does really... I, I, I have my review of that. I know it's not a popular movie. But I do think it's going to be one of those cult classic movies. I think it's going to be... I hear people talk about... What's that movie Midnight Night Shyamalan did where it's like... The Village. People talk about The Village a lot. Um, he just did... He got out of the genre of superheroes. He got out of... Well, he did really well in Blade Runner 2049. And then... Um, he doesn't do bad as Drax the Destroyer. But... Um, in this one, he was a, he wasn't this he was sinister. He wasn't a goofball. Well, he's not. It's he's, almost like creepy how calm he's, he is. He's calm, and then, but it's like when he has to. It's when they go do that whole like we have now reached reached our witching hour, like the our hour of judgment or whatever, and he like they have to kill one of each other. That's when he's the scariest. But it's like the whole movie. It's just like. This man is actually acting. Like, I believe him in this role. I don't see Dave Batista the wrestler anymore. I see whoever he's trying to be, and I'm believing it. And I, I think that's one of the most underrated movies this year. I think year. it's one of the best he's done. Personally oh, yeah. for his career. Yeah, for sure. But I, I but it, people are always going to be partial to Drax the Destroyer, and I get it. Especially I, after Guardians 3. Guardians like, 3 was a hell of a movie. Nowadays, but like, I think... Anyone could do a superhero movie. I think it takes a lot to break away from that and do something different and sh shine. I think with this year, um, God, so much happened this year that, for instance, uh, the DCEU is done. Mm -hmm. Marvel had one of its worst years. We talked about Kang already. We talked about Jonathan Majors. And that is going to have major we repercussions. We still don't know if they're going to scrap it or not. They, they haven't released anything. I still think that um, John Boyega would be their best choice. Especially after uh, I've seen a, one of his movies today. I think he should... I, th I That's my number one choice. Like, John Boyega. Um, but he's already refusing to do it. Which, his history with Disney, with the whole Star Wars movies, I don't blame him. And also, people were just racist, man. Racist. Like, who cares? He's a stormtrooper. Deal with it. Um, but anyway, um, our next movie that we haven't got to, we got off the track there. Actually, no, this is the, we're talking about any kind of movie today. Um, but yeah, um, speaking of, before we go on, speaking of, like, changing things, um, no, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it here a little later, um. But the next actor i got to bring up, though, Leonardo DiCaprio. We've already brought up uh, He's always Lily. on someone's top five list. He, he, well, he has to be, because he doesn't... 
we t- we already talked about the mystique of him. Like he chooses to act every so often. We're not like every year, every year, every year. You're he's not him. he's not Vin Diesel. Like here's my next Fast and Furious. Here's my next Xander Cage. Here's my next yada yada yada. Um, it's not. Oh, oh, I I don't even know. Like I feel like oh, Timothy Chalamet's kind of pushing that for me in a way like i feel like i'm starting to see him a lot more recently and you know he's dating kylie jenner yeah i don't care uh <laughs> i'm not gonna lie but no um leo though in this movie he's playing a character like like you mentioned dave batista um but like he's purposely not trying to be leonardo caprio in this like he is quite opposite to leo DiCaprio, and he's he has this, like, goofy-looking face the whole fucking time, but, like, he's making a person in who, in real-life history, was not a good person sympathetic. And for an actor to do that, like, you're really doing something with that character that I don't know if it should be done, but I'm glad <laughs> that you're doing it, and I salute you for it. Uh, another person to bring up, though, next to him, Robert, uh, Robert De Niro, of course. Robert De Niro, but then... De Niro's kind of playing a role that we've seen De Niro play before, but still, he does it so flawlessly because that's De Niro. Um, the next uh, actor on this list, uh, of course, is Michael Fassbender from The Killer. Um, I kind of have mixed feelings about this movie. Um, it will be popping up later on a little more, but um, I do think he's great in it. Um, I'm kind of thinking that's going to be next year's Halloween costume, to be honest. Yeah. I think that'd be a fun one. Um, it's just super easy to do. But, uh, yeah, I think that the fact that he is pretty much front and center in every frame of the movie, um, he really does sell the character. It's just, uh, yeah. Um, the next movie... Or the actor is from a movie I got to see, I was lucky enough to see, was called The Holdovers, and that is Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, of course, is one of those actors who, he's just, anytime he's on something, he's always going to do great, he's always going to be great. Um, and in this movie, it's no exception. He he kind of plays like if Mr. Feeney was an asshole in that movie, but I love it. And, um, yeah. Uh, again, just does a slam dunk. Now, this one is going to be weird because I know it's not going to be on anyone's list. But I watched a movie that was weirdly painful but beautiful and <laughs> amazingly shot and acted and somehow funny. Buggy Nuts. No, but good, good uh, comparison there. Maybe that will be our 100th episode. Um, but The Iron Claw, and I chose Zac Efron. Um he, he doesn't say a lot in the movie, but, like, when he is acting, like, it's it's kind of weird because I remember him, I remember first seeing him in High School Musical. I didn't watch the movie, I mean, I, I obviously I know it, but I never, like, it's weird to think that, Zach, that, that dude's from High School Musical. And then he would eventually go in to play, what, Charlie St. Cloud? I think that was, like, his next big movie. And then, but then he went on to do uh, Neighbors, which was great. That that I didn't like the Baywatch movie. I hated that movie. I'm not gonna lie to you. Because the Rock was in it. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, what else? Um, but he's just one of those people. Oh, what, what was that? What was that movie he did where he was? Um, 
Ooh, the serial killer. Extremely loud and dangerously close. Or no, no, that was something else. Ooh, what? Who is he playing? It's not Ted Bundy. He's playing Ted Bundy, but what's it called though? You look that up for me, but like that was a risky role for him to do, and you got it right. Extremely no, you didn't get it right. Okay, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Okay, yeah, I was never going to remember that. I'm terrible with names. But, yeah, he did really good with that. And then in this one, uh, he... Uh, I now, know he gets a lot... Why do you think that fucked... Um, his the Jeffrey Dahmer movie? Why do you think that uh, fucked up Evan Peters, but this one didn't fuck up? No, this movie didn't fuck with him. But Evan Peters, like, was doing a series. So he was on that set a lot longer than Zac Efron was on that set, I'm sure. But, um, no, yeah, uh, like, the way that he physically transformed himself for the role, but, like, I don't know, I just thought, like, he, I, I, I grew up watching wrestling with my brother, and I knew of this story loosely, but, again, it's just seeing Zac Efron grow into this actor, and just seeing him in this role that's completely opposite of what we've seen him in, where he has to be someone who is... For one, strong. Like, physically, he's strong, but he's a vulnerable character the whole movie. Like, he's he is our kind of guiding compass throughout everything. He's the brother we're following throughout most of the he's movie. He's the one that's still alive. Well, yeah, it's pretty he much He had to watch story. all of his brothers die. He, well, sadly, yes, because... Well, we'll get into the movie a little later. But, yeah, it's just... I just was really impressed with it. Like, I was watching it, and there's a... Well, We'll get okay. We'll get into the scene now, because I keep like dancing around shit, and I sound like I'm just not knowing what I'm talking about. There's a part where he's trying to kill his father, because his brother just committed suicide right outside his house, and his dad has the balls to say, "Well, he called you," and he like starts choking him, and I and I was sitting in the I was sitting there, and I just said, "Good, I hope he kills him," even though I know he doesn't. I, but I was just like, I would have been fine with it. You know, if you listen to the real-life documentary, the real Kevin, after his dad died, he said he went through a lot of shit, but he's a good man. I mean, it, it it's their dad, you know, but it, we'll, we'll get into it later. But yeah, those were my top actors and actresses this year. Uh, how many will be recognized for rewards? Nobody knows. And I know there are shit ton more actors I didn't mention on here, but I didn't want to do 10, 10 and 10, because I'm not trying to keep everyone here. I mean, it's New Year's Eve. Everybody's ready to have a good time, and that's what we're here to do. So, yeah, uh, on to our next list. Had us muted there, shit. Okay. <laughs> Woo, okay. So... We are back now, and we're almost to our top 10 movies list. But before we get to our top 10 films, I did want to bring up 10 movies that are not on my top 10 list. Because sometimes my lists are... I had... I you I, We were talking about it earlier, off mic. Um, we changed our list a lot. My, my first seven were probably locked in for a while, but my bottom three were changing a shit ton, probably like ten minutes up until we, you came in with food earlier. So, 
here are 10 movies that I would recommend that, not to say they're any less than my top 10 favorite films, but for one reason or another, I like them, I love them, but they just weren't top 10 material for one reason or another. First movie I want to bring up, though, is Asteroid City. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's one of those movies that have been definitely kind of, you either love it or you hate it, but it's Wes Anderson, and I am one of those big Wes Anderson fans, too, where I am a little biased about it, but I do think, like, we don't get a lot of directors, I mean, there are great directors out there, but he is so precise with everything, like, like, everything is almost timed out to precision with his movies, and the coloring of it, and I, I I know the cinematography is kind of spoofed and made fun of a lot, but it's visually pleasing, and it's enjoyable. Um, the next one, I uh, wanted to mention John Wick Chapter 4, uh, the last one of the series. Um, it's good, but I just don't like how they decided to end it, end it. Those who cling to death live. Those who cling to life die. I don't like the whole. Yeah, I don't like the whole. I don't like Kane. I'm just gonna say it. I don't like that they made Kane like it was like Kane had to be more of a badass than John. But it's like no, we had three movies proving why John Wick was the motherfucking baddest motherfucker. Do not give me Kane. Fuck off with that. But nope, we gotta believe this man is better than John Wick and. No, John should have, there should have been something to where he figured out a way to live because I wanted to see him with his pit bull again. But Sue they, me. They kind of hinted to a spinoff? There is the ballerina coming out next year, but I thi- they they hint that he could still be alive. There are supposed talks that there's going to be a fifth one. Do I want a fifth one? Not necessarily because as much They're as I've liked it. John Wick Chapter 4... The fights are almost predictable. He gets banged up for a little bit. He does some gun foo, and then finally, he after getting his ass kicked for about five minutes, he finally does the right maneuvers to reverse everything and win the fight. Like it's it's getting a little repetitive. Repetitive, but I still I still love it. Call sue me. I still think it's a good movie. <laughs> I just but Fucking I sue me sue me. But uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, the next one is The Killer. Again, I liked Michael Fassbender in the movie, but the movie itself gets kind of slow and stale at points. Um, this one I talked really highly about. I still believe it's going to be one of those cult classics as it gets older, just because of the world building it does, the special effects it has. And just, I do think it's a better movie than a lot of people want to claim it is, but that is the creator. Um... The next movie on this list, and this is going to be the most unpopular one because it's not in my top ten, and that is Barbie. Um, I think Barbie was good, as I stated. Sucked. <laughs> I don't think it sucked. I don't. I but I do think here's here's where it really started to decline on me when I realized that Ryan Gosling is being awarded for acting exactly like Chris Hemsworth was in Answer the Call. What have you done? What are you wearing? 
Don't question it. Just roll with it, tiny baby. Call me baby. What about mini baby? Like this mini fridge? <laughs> no, Ken. This is my dream house. It is my dream house. It's mine. No, this is no longer Barbie's dream house. This shall henceforth be known as Ken's Mojo Dojo Casa House. You don't have to say dojo and house and casa. But you do because it feels good. Try it. Mojo Dojo Mojo Dojo Casa House. <laughs> And then after I came to that realization, I realized that all Kins are acting like Chris Hemsworth from uh, Answer the Call. And I was just like... Not John Cena. Not John... Well, John Cena is like, hi, Barbie. And then uh, here's a brewski for my big man, which worst acting between two people ever. But, but um, that's how Barbie kind of acts. I mean, not Margot Robbie's Barbie. Like, but, she does well. And I think... I think they're going off of what the music video, the song. I don't think they're going off the music video. No, they just are the, just the they, way they're talking. Hey, Barbie. Uh, maybe, but um, the, but like I said though, like the whole like, again, I know Greta Gerwig is a super feminist director, and I like her movies, and I this one has a lot going for it though, cinematically. Um, on it, like the the set design uh, effects, um, the music's not bad. Like the, again, Emily makes me listen to the song, so I'm used to the music Come now. On Barbie, that's cool. Barbie. They actually don't have that song in the movie. because the lost is lost. Yep, um, but like uh, again, Margot Robbie makes the movie. Ryan Gosling is still enjoyable as Ken, but people need to. Also, kind of what's see the, that he's being Chris Hemsworth for Answer the Call. What's the part where she tells him to go away for a little bit, and he's like, like he walks "Oh away. yeah, he's just walking away," and, and she's like, "Don't go too far." And he's, okay, because <laughs> I mean, that's again the reason why it works though is also Ryan Gosling's charm. If he's he again, you needed actors to really dwell in to that they are dolls. They, you are not you're not playing people you are playing dolls um but again like the whole like aspect of Ken's gets weird after a few viewings like wait so where do you guys live and the fact that like all the other Barbies have like actual jobs and Ryan Gosling's is Ken did, is beach did uh Leo and Ryan Gosling ever like act together in that what Mickey no it wasn't Mickey Mouse the, yeah. Mickey Mouse no that was him and Justin Timberlake though I know that but um but yeah like again I like the Barbie movie but after watching it 60 times with my daughter I see the flaws I see some of the complaints people have but I'm also not the demographic for the movie and I realize that so I'm not going to sit here and boohoo about it because I honestly don't care, but it's still an enjoyable movie, but it's just not one of my favorites of the year. Uh, but still one I would like to recommend because I did still think for it was kids. a good movie. Not not, not even for kids. Like uh, I wouldn't watch it. Well, that's you, man. I, I, it's not your demographic either. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, the next one is a fun one. It's based off a game that I have personally never played but that did not mean I did not go into that movie and enjoy the fuck out of it. And that was Dungeons and Dragons, um, uh, Honor Among Thieves. Chris Pine's great in it. Michelle Rodriguez is great in it. Um, uh, 
I what is it? Justice Smith. Justice Smith is great in it. Sophia Lillis is great in it. Hugh Grant is great in it. Um, everyone's great in that movie, and it's a truly f just fun adventure film. Um, I think you can watch it on Peacock right now if you want to, but it's again like you don't have to watch know the game to have a good time and it's also really funny like i like not all the humor was directly to it and also someone very famous from this year who he didn't enter my uh my category of actors because i didn't think too highly of the movie but um spoiler bradley cooper makes a really funny cameo in dungeons and dragons um <laughs> talk real quick about maestro though since we're on the subject every year there's always a movie that comes out where it's supposed to be a really good movie but then when you see it it's like everyone is acting amazing in it but the movie itself is just lesser than the than the acting and that was maestro for me um because bradley cooper does great in it um carrie mulligan does great in it I, but it's just like it's not, I don't want to say it's not interesting because Leonard Bernstein did live a, a really, um, really interesting life, but it's just, it felt so when, it, when you, it was so much different than a star is born, but it was like, because he had to deal with real life things, he just kind of went with a cookie cutter, um, biography pic picture. Now, there's still some great shots in there. Like, there's a lot of... He almost does it too much, but there's a lot of shots where, like, his shadow... Like, his wife is literally just living in his shadow. And they're really great shots. And the makeup is really well done in it. Um, and I like the way it's shot. But, it, again, it was just one of those movies that, like, kind of fell flat for me. The, the performances were great, but the movie itself was just not there for me. Um, a movie though I would also recommend. This is a foreign one. It's like a World War Two John Wick, and it's called Sisu. Um, I watched it a couple weeks ago, and it was awesome. I was actually late for work because of it because I got so into it. Um, it is the the lead of it barely says a word, but it's literally an old man who wants his gold, and Nazis are trying to steal it, and he's saying "fuck off," try to get it. And he kicks ass the entire movie, and it's worth it for every second. Now, this one, again, I've only seen this once, but I laugh my ass off with it. And it's called Joyride. Uh, it stars um, uh, Ashley Park, Sherry Cola, Stephanie Hu, uh, and uh, Sabrina Wu. And it's... It's one of those ones that it came out, it had really good reviews and a lot of good buzz, but no one saw it for some weird reason. Like, I remember nobody seeing it. It didn't make a lot of money, but it was on sale on Vudu, and I said, fuck it, why not? And I could have not been more pleased with it. I think it's one that if anyone checked it out, they would laugh their ass off. It's because we don't get R-rated raunchy comedies that much anymore. No. And this one really just, oh my God. There's a part involving a woman's and a tattoo that cracked me the hell up. 
because I didn't expect for us to, spoiler alert, see it. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next one, this was a movie that was kind of circling my top ten list for a while, but for... It just, there were some movies that just kind of pushed it off, but it's one I still really enjoyed, and it's Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, it has everything of an old school uh, Mission Impossible movie, but it, but it was like, I think the fact that everyone knew it was a two-parter, I think it made it less successful, but it's still a hell of a time, um, it reminds me so much of the very first film that it, but there is a lot of, um, oh, sorry, I keep feeling a burp wanting to come out, <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh, please don't, not right now, but, um, okay, yeah, I, I'm rambling on about that, but I really like that one, um, I'm really excited for the, the part two to come out, but I think that one's been delayed till 2025, sadly, uh, next one on the Top list. Gun, did Top Gun come out in 2022? Yes. Okay, I yeah. just want to make sure. Yeah. Um, that, that, that was my number two. Um, I, we're going to see if my number one wins best picture again. Uh, <laughs> the next movie on my list is one that we covered on the podcast, uh, the Super Mario Bros. movie. Um, obviously it's just a really good feel good movie, a real good kick in the ass of nostalgia. And, um, yeah, I just, I could have not loved it anymore. My kids love it. I loved it. It's a good time. It's. It's when they say a family fun movie, that's it. It's Super Mario Bros. movie. The star really had you. The what? The, the star in the movie, like the, the actual star. Oh yeah, that was my tree topper, man. <laughs> um, and also, uh, Jack Black just stole the show. Um, and I loved Keegan, Keegan Michael Keel, right? Yeah, Keegan Michael. Keegan Did you hear how Michael he had to Key. do that voice? What? Yeah, he, had, he just keep making it go higher. Um, and he had and, to have hot tea or something to help his throat. And now this movie, this movie was on my top 10 up until today. Because the movie I saw today that I was talking about earlier with you, um, again, just, I loved it. I, I It reminded me of so much of movies I've always loved and mentioned on here. Um, but this one, though, even though it didn't make the top 10, it was a really good biopic of a star that was never actually seen in the movie. Because the movie is more about a shoe. And that was Air. <laughs> yep. Air was so fucking good about for a movie about a shoe. Not the greatest Ben Affleck movie, but again, this is when you say that Ben Affleck doesn't act it differently. He's a different person in this movie. Like, he's actually playing a, like, like sleazy executive kind of guy. But, like, um... The especially there's one scene in this movie, particular like the Ben, the Matt Damon speech. Okay. Now I'm gonna put it to you plain once again. Michael will get two hundred fifty thousand dollars and a Mercedes Benz that will be forgotten in a year. But he gets a piece of the revenue of the shoe and all future Air Jordan shoes. A shoe is just a shoe. Until my son steps into it. Fucking masterful, masterful quote. And I just, when she brings it back on him later in the movie, like, a shoe is just a shoe until my son steps in it and gets him the deal. Like, his mom is the reason why sports, like, anything with players and marketing and, and av uh, sponsorships, Sp yeah. it's because of Michael Jordan's mom. 
And, and he got billions of dollars off of it. And who knew, like, just... This is why, like, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon should always do movies together. Because they just make some magic together. And Air was just one of those movies that... That's why I made this list. Because there were so many good movies that didn't make my top ten. That I still wanted to bring up and talk about a little. <coughs> but now that we've talked about those... It is time to talk about the top ten. So, we are beginning our top ten now. And, man. Okay, so, this this section might go a little long, but I'm going to be quick with my bottom five, and then probably more extensive with my top five here. So, to begin my list... Um, we could go back and forth. Uh, my number 10 is called Theater Camp. It's actually like one of the very first films I've had on my list. It was directed by Molly Gordon and Nick uh, Liberman. Uh, Molly Gordon also co-stars in it with Ben Platt, Noah Galvin, Jimmy T uh, Tatro, Caroline Aaron, and Aya uh, Edebury. Um, it's one of those movies, it was... It's there was just something special about it. Um, in college, I went with I went into college for graphic design, but I hit a semester where I had no classes I could take for my major. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just do a like free uh, free semester." So I was like, "I'm gonna do the theater program shit." So I took acting class. I went to theater theory or shit like that. I did, uh, I actually helped build our, um, set for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, and, um, I, even though that was just one semester and I witnessed, but I witnessed so much shit, and then of course there was high school, you know, shit like that, that when going into this movie, even though I've never been huge into theater, I got a lot of references, I understood a lot of shit going on. And it was just, like, very true to how people are when they get invested into that kind of life and environment and stuff like that. But also, I am a sucker for mockumentary movies. And that's what that is. And it was just really good. I really liked it. Um, I think that the fact that Molly Gordon and Ben Platt were real-life, lifelong friends and they used that for the movie really helps it, but it's that with a mockumentary, you almost have a get out of jail free card to be overly quirky sometimes. But again, it was just one of those movies that somehow I was able to relate to. And I just loved, and it's been one that like, it's been at number 10 forever. It's one that could have left the top 10 forever ago, but for some reason, I'm just like, it has to stay. I don't know why, but it has, but that's my number 10. My number 10 is, you're going to hate this, but Air. That's not a bad one. Like I said, I wanted to, I had Air on here for a long, that was my number nine for a long time. But I was just like, every time I was thinking about getting rid of, like, maybe I should drop Theater Camp. I was like, I can't drop Theater Camp for some reason. Like, I don't know why. But, um, no, yeah, Air's really good. Like, there's nothing wrong with having Air as your ten, number ten, like, I, There's some movies above it that I'm like, oh, I could have interchanged that. I mean, it, my, my, if anything, my top ten lists are almost fluid, except for always my least top three. Uh, for the most part. Sometimes it's kind of really solid. When you look at it, you can be like, mm, okay, but 
I know people are going to shit on my list. I already know that's going to happen. Um, yeah, for my next one, my number nine, this one, again, I watched today, but it's one of those movies that I talk a lot about exploitation movies, and somehow this is like exploitation meets sci-fi meets comedy meets satire, and it stars Jamie Foxx, uh, John Boyega, and um, Tiana Paris, and it and it's so fucking good. It's called They Clone Tyrone. It's on Netflix. It's a Netflix movie. I heard about it. I heard about it coming on Netflix a while ago, but it was just one of those ones I never got around to seeing. But I guarantee, like, it's going to be one that just like pops up in the future for people. That's they're gonna. It's going to be one of those movies. Like, why aren't people ever talked about this? Why have nobody watched this before? Like, why why aren't more people seeing this? And I'm telling you right now. It needs to be a movie that's seen, and it's number nine on my top ten. Um, but no, like, I have a very complicated with my relationship with how I feel about Jamie Foxx and his acting. This movie kind of changed that for me. I love him in this movie. He was actually, like, my favorite character besides John Boyega, who I wasn't a big fan of his in the Star Wars movies. Um, and it wasn't his fault, it was the movie's fault. And what they were doing with his character. I didn't like his character. Not necessarily him. But in this movie, like... Th- there's so many levels that he reaches and goes through. And, like, I believe him in the role so well as Tyrone. And... Yeah, it just... And Tiana, Par- Tiana Paris is this... She plays a... Her name's Yo-Yo. And she plays a hoe. As they call her throughout the whole thing. And... But she's one who claims she, she's retiring because she wants to go to Nashville. She wants to ha- live a life. She doesn't want to be in where they live. But they eventually find out that they are in a town that's being experimented and studied by these evil scientists who are actually ran by the plot twist of the movie is... Well, actually, I don't want to say what the plot twist is. you got to watch it, though. It's really good. I really loved it, and that's why it's number nine. What's your number nine? My number nine is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. God, I feel like that might be too low, but I'm glad it's on your top ten at least. <laughs> um, the ending but, of it was but, so perfect. Here's my problem. I, I almost agree with it now that I've said it out loud because, well, fuck it. It's my number eight. I just, I, I <laughs> it's my number eight. I couldn't put it, I couldn't put it any higher I can't. I couldn't put it higher than eight. Like that's why yeah. I would said my last three. Like I, I can't put they clone Tyrone above it. I think it's but I, I can. I think it's so low on my list because it's an animated. Well, the animated aspect doesn't because I actually have two animated movies. I on have here. one more above it, but but um, this the issue with the cross the spider or yeah, it's cross the spider versus one. Okay, um, is that it's clearly a second movie mm-hmm. it is clearly a between chapter and, and that hurts it for me because you gotta like even empire as much as there's a cliffhanger-esque ending it's still an ending it feels like a completed story did and you that think the this next... one wasn't as good as the first i think i do put the first one i've i have the first one rated as a five star and this one four and it's a half very star. hard to top it's it's it's, it's hard to top like but it's like 
but it's a sequel. It's hard to top the first. Me and Diego actually talked about this a lot, but um, we also liked the soundtrack better in the first one. Yeah. Like, Ed, there was just everything worked a little better, and it sounds like there was a lot of problems behind the scenes. And even, uh, I told you I beat Spider-Man 2 today, there's a scene that I think is supposed to be directly tied with Into the Spider-Verse. Actually, I know, what am I saying? I know it's tied to the Spider-Verse because he appears into, across the Spider-Verse. Uh, it, it, that felt weird to say because Into the Spider-Verse. Do, Spider you, do you like the Venom in the game, how Venom looks? Fucking sick as hell, man. Now some of the stuff that Venom he gets does, wings. Yeah, where is that in the movie? I don't know. Dude, like <laughs> I, I, like I was watching the the whole game, like the whole cinematic. Like I want a live action Miles Morales. Like I want Miles. Like if if what? Uh, ooh, what's his name? Spider Man now. Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Thank you. I kept wanting to say Tom Atkins. And I know that was fucking wrong. Um. Yeah, if he wants to leave the role, let's not recast a Peter Parker. Let's get a Miles in. Let's let's have him train Miles before he's out the door. Like, let's get him be... Let's have him be the new Tony. Let's let him finally be what they've been trying to force him he to be forever. The Iron Spider. Well, no, we've already had enough Iron Spider. I um, love that screen. Dude, you, can, you unlock the screen-accurate suit on the game. I think... I wish and I hope but it probably won't ever happen, that we get a Venom like that. Oh, no. The game. That's, the, that's the kind of Venom, like, Tom... He's Tom evil. Hardy, Tom Hardy's Venom is nothing compared to that it's Venom. It's child's play. Yeah, it's exactly like... I, I... Actually, I've been very vocal about this. I don't like Tom Hardy's Venom. Like people it's, excited about it, it's it's sh- it sucks to me. I think it's. Sh- I mean, it could be worse, but it. Also, it could be worse, but it could be a shit ton I mean, better. But that how evil he is in that game, and how much damage he does. I mean, he's sinister. Dude, he is so fun to fight too. I don't know why I he's fun to fight. I also like fighting Mysterio in the, that and game. The, all of the ven- like the symbiotes. Dude, I love that there's, like... I like Mary Jane's ones a lot. Yes. That one, That's an epic scene there. And I like his anti-Venom suit. Um, but anyway, going yeah, on now. I wish they, I, they need to make it into a movie. But yeah, that was my number eight also, by the way. So, uh, for the reasoning of that, it would have been higher. Because I know it's a lot of people's, like, two or three of the year. But and it's actually, like... Honestly, out of every movie I've had on here on a Letterbox D's rating system, it's actually the highest rated out of all these. But it's just again, it's too much of a. I it, it's a second movie, and we it makes itself aware that it knows it's a second movie, and um, the trouble with like this the animators behind the scenes kind of knowing that stuff kind of dilutes it, and the fact that again. We have to wait like two or three years now for that second obvious cliffhanger that like, what the fuck's about to happen to Miles now that he's ran into this Prowler Miles? Like, we don't know. Like, and we have to, we have to, we have a longer wait than we had to wait for Endgame now. And that was unbearable enough. That was a year. But it's like, the whole of what this movie accomplished is going to wear off. But at the same time, I forgot to, we haven't even touched about the animation. They're acting like GTA. Like it takes them years to even make. It, well, see, they really with having all them Spider Mans, they they really just spread themselves too thin. I like 
if the next one, like, I think they got all the great spider people together on their teams. Like, all the interesting characters are now all together, it seems like. But they need to land this fucking plane. Because this could be the greatest trilogy of all time. Even for animated series. Like, this could be just live or animated. Greatest of all time. If they land the fucking plane. plane. Um, But yeah, that was my number eight. My number eight is Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I forgot to put that. That's one I would recommend. I did not put that in my top ten, but that was a... That was a great movie. I liked that how, was it that was movie serious. made me. It it was more serious than the second one was. The second one was just too much. Like I don't know. It, it was just too I too liked, much humor that was pointless. And then like there was the whole like family aspect felt way too fast and furious for me. You could um, see where it was like building up to where Rocket was going to become the leader. I really I liked I liked Rocket's whole backstory. Love the villain. Yes. Um, that was amazing acting. Still one of my favorite fucking quotes of the entire year. Sirewin must retreat. The ship is going down. The spaceport has intruders. Go. See if one of them is 89P13. Sire, you have an irrational obsession with this animal. You must stop for God's sake. There is no God. That's why I stepped in. That's something <laughs> fucking powerful. You te- I want to if I'm going to kill someone one day, I'm not saying I'm gonna kill someone. I could never <laughs> kill someone. But if I were to kill someone, that's what I'm gonna say to them before I pull the trigger. And I'm gonna do it in cl- I'm gonna dress like Dirty Harry and do it. Fuck it. Go all out. Why if you're gonna go to jail once, why not go it in style? Uh, <laughs> I should probably edit that out, but I probably won't. But uh yeah. No. That's a, it was it was a shock to me because Marvel recently has not done well in I don't know how many that was like the one movie they've done well in a I don't know since since the last Spider-Man I don't know why but I just hear Thor saying quail instead of quail (laughs) are you calling me quail I'm glad. I'm glad that Thor wasn't really in that yeah because I I know they appear and dragged them down no, yeah, well, it, 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 the whole thing that was annoying, and I'm glad they bring it up in that terrible Love and Thunder, which will be talked about very shortly in a very last point of this list. Actually, no, that was the last year movie, so it won't be brought up. So we'll talk about it now. The screaming fucking goats. The fucking goats. Those were awful. It was just a bad movie, and that was when I really thought, like, because Marvel was convinced that was going to be, like, another Ragnarok. The best part of the movie was Christian Bale, and he only had, like, what, 15 minutes of total time on and, the screen? And we didn't get to... We didn't fully embrace him being the God Butcher. Like, we just saw the aftermath of the God this Butcher. This needed to be rated R. It needs to be rated R, but no, like, uh... No, it didn't even have to be because Guardians 3 proves that. But, like, I wanted it to be more comic accurate. Like, he didn't look like the comic either. Like, the God Butcher has, like, those... Well, yeah, the... Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but... And no nose. Yeah, they didn't try at all. They were just like, let's make him bald slap and... Slap him white and... Slap him white and give him some red <laughs> shit on, or, or black shit around his eyes. 
Um, but no, no, that's not bad. Slap him on the ass. All right, get out there. All right, get out there, fella. Way to go. Man, I'm surprised I didn't have that that on my recommended list. Because, yeah, that was actually... It's made me more on board of like seeing what James Gunn's about to do with Superman Legacy. I'm not 100% on board with all the ideas that he has for this new DC world about to come. But I am intrigued because we will finally next year get to see, I think by March, the new Superman suit. Because that's when they start filming. And I also think that they're going to unlock a lot more opportunities with Guardians 4 if they do one. Because you got Adam Warlock. I don't think the Guardians is going to happen. If the Guardians happen anymore, it's going to be without Gun, And I don't think Marvel's willing to play that card anymore. I think it needs to be more serious than what it is. I think they need to just... Well, they won't do another Guardians because they all disbanded. Well, well that's they, my point. Is like It's not going to happen. One. Nah, I don't see that. I don't even know how Peter Quill's going to come... Like, Marvel is up in the air now. Like, again, next year we're about to get just Deadpool 3. And your flagship runner is like what twenty four, twenty five years old. Well, the here's the thing: Shang Chi was supposed to be one of those big runners of this new MCU, and they we've seen used, him once. They haven't used him at all. Yeah, it's been it's been pointless. But yeah, no, that's a great pick though. I I'm a little ashamed for not having that on my uh, on my recommendations. But I only had ten movies to choose, and I stuck with those. Um, my number seven, though, going into this is The Iron Claw. As I, It's a movie I brought up earlier. It's about the uh, Von Erich brothers. And what I love about this movie is actually the Von Erich brothers. Um, they are all played by Zac Efron, uh, Jeremy Allen White, Harris... Oh, uh, the whole movie stars them. Harris Dickinson, Marie Ta- uh, Tierney, um, Stanley Simmons, Holt McCallany... Uh, and Lily James, um, and it's shot really well. Like the the, let me try to articulate this a little better. The wrestling scenes are all done, and you can tell that they only had so many extras because this is an A twenty four movie, not the biggest budget, but they shoot it in like the lighting of it makes it look old. And the way everyone's dressed and looks, it looks like a really true time period piece. And, but it feels like they are in a stadium crowd. And it's all because of the lighting and how everything is shot. And then, every, I really feel like these guys are brothers in the movie. And that's what really sells, sold the movie to me is like, when I saw, when there's a scene where Jeremy Allen White's character, um, who I need to get the, like their character cast list up, um, but because um, I can't remember everybody's. Um... Now this is also my number six. So oh, it's your number six. But well, hold on, we got it. We're on seven here. Well, I know. I'm just <laughs> we saying can't we go could too fast, far. Ahead. We could fast forward past my number six. Oh, okay. But um, but yeah, no. This Jeremy Allen White's character, he. They they're not doing the Olympics anymore. Uh, the war has pretty much everything going on with the Soviets um, cancels the Olympics. So he comes home and decides to become a wrestler. But when they come home, um, they have this big reunion. Their little brother, he's like the more artsy fartsy kind of kid. I I don't know why I called it artsy fartsy when I'm artsy fartsy. Well, are you talking about Chris? The, the youngest the, the, bro- the, the character Chris. Yeah. 
Um, I can't remember everyone's. I'm using my letterbox D list, so I don't have like the list of character names with me. Who but... played Carrie? Was it Carrie? Was uh, Jeremy Allen White? Yeah, that's not to well, the that's one. My favorite, Jeremy Allen White. Yeah, well, yeah, no, no, that's my favorite. Von Eric. Oh, the one who won the title from Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah. Um, who was like a knockoff or not knockoff? I can't say that. That's disrespectful. Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> he looks like the Ultimate Warrior. He did look like the Ultimate Warrior, but no, the Von Eric family was was truly the movie. It's tragic because we focus a lot on everything bad that happened to him because a lot of bad shit happened to him. But they were very successful wrestlers. They were very big into the wrestling and entertainment industry, but. This movie also pissed me off in a lot of ways in the t- <laughs> sense of I truly hated the parents in this movie. They were awful because everything that was happening that throughout the movie that we're told about this family curse that that they believe like Zac Efron p- believes like maybe it's real. I don't know because like Have it you- goes to an extent where he changes his kid's last name. To ensure that he will not have this curse. Have with you him. ever watched the documentary on this? No, I have not. But I again, it's like I've grew up watching wrestling and stuff, so you hear so about this stuff. Kevin in the documentary now states that the curse is a bunch of bullshit. I because think it was, and I. But I think it's also a part of him living off the grid. He lives in Hawaii. Yes, and with with all of his family, and yes. a lot of his family like is still wrestling today. Yeah, his kids look, his oldest looks just like Carrie. It he does, but like um, it's like um, what was I trying to say here? Um, now Carrie's demise was when he went to the WWE. They wouldn't let him use the Iron Claw. They wouldn't let him use the Von Eric name. No, Carrie was. Hold on, let me pull this up now because you're confusing me now. Because Ke- no, Ke- one of Carrie, Ugh. you confuse me now. <laughs> no, but um, no, there was no curse. That's what I was saying. Uh, sorry, I had to find my way a little bit. Yeah, there was no curse because um, it was just mainly suicide. Carrie was the one who who won, but uh, David was the one who used the Iron Claw. And then David uh, was the one who got it from his dad. I, I decided to just Google it to make it easier, so I have everybody's names. And, um, and then Carrie got in trouble with drug charges. Carrie was the one who eventually lost his foot, and he was the one who yes. beat Ric Flair. That's Jeremy Allen White. He's and the one who beats Ric Flair, wins the championship, goes out drinking the night of his championship, and loses his leg that night. And he had to at be, least in the movie. I don't. He made in, in everyone. The series of events of. He made everyone that knew swear to secrecy that because he didn't want it to get out that he lost his foot. I mean, I can imagine they would want to. Um, um, they didn't want him to lose the title right away because. No. But again, my point of like why the curse was bullshit is it was their it was their family. It was yeah. their it was not their family. Uh, their parents because. At a young age, they literally tell the kids, like, work it out amongst yourselves. Just handle it yourselves. And it goes back to when I talk about uh, when uh, he commits suicide in the front yard. And he says, you should have, you were the one who should have took care of him. He called you. Even though right after he gets off the phone with his brother. He tries he co- to call his dad. Called, no, he, no, he does call his dad. And he's his, talking to his dad saying, and, right, he so, doesn't, dad, he's not sounding right. Like, I think he needs help right now. And he's like. 
I don't know what you look after each other. Like and that's all they say throughout the whole movie. And these are kids. In the they movie, they're never taught anything besides you got to be the best at what you're doing, or you're not doing it right. In the movie, what was his dad doing in that scene? Uh, when he was uh, when he kills himself. No, when he was called by Kevin. What do you mean? So when Kevin calls his dad about oh. Carrie. Um, well, it's at night, so I, I imagine sleeping. So in real life, he got off the phone with Carrie, called his dad. His dad was laying concrete and said, I don't have time to deal with this. I He might have said, I, again, I've only seen the movie once, but so then, he might say that so in the movie. So then Carrie walks up to his dad when he gets there, hugs him, <coughs> and says, I love you, dad. I've always loved you. You're the best dad, and then walks off. And drives his jeep into a clearing in their field and shoots himself in the heart. Yep, it shoots himself in the chest, yep. And I was surprised they like, because for some weird reason, they don't show his head. And I was like, I he didn't shoot himself in the head. And they're like, we don't see, I don't think we see blood protruding from him. Like, I think we just see blood on his, his shirt. His brother Chris shoots himself in the head. Uh, well, they a lot of them. David, uh, wait, there was David, there was Lance, Carrie, Kevin. Who was the, who was the one that died in Japan? Uh that was David. That was okay. the one who did the Iron Claw. He was the one who was supposed to He was like take the, over. Yeah, he was the most like athletically gifted and Well, no, he was like the one who was like screen ready. Mm-hmm. Like he he knew how to work the the whole cameras, knew how to deliver lines and he, he inherited the Iron Claw from his dad. Mike, Mike is the youngest one. Mike is the one who, he like, he wasn't supposed to be a wrestler, but when, um, when David or... It's like his genes just ran out and he was this... Well, no, David, David dies and they pretty much tell Mike he's going to be the replacement and then Mike gets injured in the ring and gets brain damaged and you, in the movie, you find out he's like a truly good artist and stuff and then... Kills himself. He kills himself because... So there was, what, six brothers in total? Five? Yeah. It goes back to, like... And now there's just one? Because the thing is, it's like... And the worst part is, there's a part where Zac Efron asks his mom for help. He Kevin asks for his mom to, like, say something. And, like, dad's being too hard on Mike. And she literally just says, working him out amongst yourselves. Like that's all they the parents ever tell the kids. They do not want a parent whatsoever, and you're that's why it's like the, your your kids needed you. You those kids, though, all of them could have still been alive today, but they didn't fucking listen to these kids, and no one had to die. Like they went, they were having a hard time, and it's because their parents wanted they they weren't meant to be. Parents. You would think after the first death, you'd be like, all right. Now, probably... granted, I'm basing this all off the movie. I'm literally saying this all off the movie. But from the movie standpoint, those are the world's worst fucking parents. And there's a part where, like, after um, after Mike is dead, like, they show uh, uh, Maura Tierney, uh, Doris, um, like, crying and getting upset but, like, not saying anything. And it's like, you should fucking blame yourself, too, because, again... Kevin told you, can you talk to dad? He's being too hard on Mike. And in real life, if you ask, uh, Kevin stated that his mom divorced his dad because she blamed his dad for all the deaths. Well, you can kind of, 
They don't show us. They don't tell us that. They don't show us that. But I can see that. I can see that because again, we do see these moments where she's alone and she's like trying to fight back tears. But again, she's not speaking up. And again, she her husband. Her again, she could say something. Stop it. But her again. The dad was a fucking asshole. He's the world's worst father. Again, when I said. If Zac Efron in that scene killed him, I was good. <laughs> like, let kill that fucker. Like, he has no sympathy for his... Like, your son's just dead, and he's like, he called you. No. Dude, your son is dead. Fucking feel that, dude. That's not good. Take responsibility because you didn't take it seriously. Um, but yeah, wow, we were on Iron Claw a lot longer than I was expecting. <laughs> uh, what was your number seven, though? Mario Brothers. Mario Brothers. I didn't put that in my, like, recommendations. No, I did. Yeah, we talked about that, yeah. It's such a good movie, though. It's such a feel-good movie. felt like Chris Pratt could have done a better voice, but... He does dip into a voice here and there, but for the most part, he does kind of phone it in, just like I kind of feel like he's about to phone it in next year with Garfield. Oh, Uh, God. And this was also a... uh, I had a slash because there was a movie that was tied with it. And now I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm just going to say it though. Creed 3. Creed 3 was good. Um, Again, that was one of those movies where it showed off uh, Jonathan Majors. Just, it sucks. It sucks. His career's done. It was like when I heard Mel Gibson say all that shit. No, I really mean that. Like, people don't get... Like, I was actually a really huge Mel Gibson fan. Loved the Lethal Weapon movies. Thought he would have been a... That's why, like, that 90-89 episode kills me. Because, like, Mel Gibson would have been a great Batman. I He is Bruce Wayne. He is Batman. Like, it fucking works. But I fucking hate him because he's a racist, anti-Semitic Instead, we got George Clooney. Anywho, no, we got Michael Keaton, which is just as good, because Michael Keaton turned out to be a great choice. Um, if it wasn't for him, we would never have a Batman. All right, what's your number six? My number six is one from a very famous director who, he's been in the game for a long time, and I've been lucky enough to start showing my daughters his movies. He's done such films. To name off a few, such as Spirited Away... My neighbor, my neighbor Totoro, and uh, one I just recently showed at M is called Kiki's Delivery Service. That is, um, forgive me if I mess up his name, Hero Miyazaki, and that is The Boy and the Heron. Uh, I had a chance to go see this at Regal, and it was worth every second. Um, it's the first one I've got to see of his movies in theaters. Um, it's the first one he's made since Ponyo. Um, and I just, he's always been this kind of, it's my second and last animated movie on my list, but he's just, it's, he has this way of creating these worlds and these characters that you can get lost in and swept in. And the animation's always great. I love how he shows chaos. Like there's the scenes of fire and, and this hospital, in this hospital accident, there's like a fire burning and it just like when, um. The lead is trying to, um, I can't think of the boy's name now, um, when he is trying to, is it Mahito? Mahito? I'm trying to remember it, sorry. Um, but, um, when he, like, discovers the heron and, like, he starts kind of 
seeing this other world that's kind of hidden below the surface of where he's at. It just becomes like this. So like when he's first talking to the heron in the pond and like the frogs are coming all around him, I'm like the way he like, and it's just top notch animation. I've always loved. (sighs) Take a breath here for a second. I just love that there's this creative mind from this creative, this artistic genius who brings us these creative worlds that anyone else would try to bring in CGI, but he knows that he can draw them and he draws them with such this, like, what's the word I'm trying to use here? the way he like for instance he uses a lot of um cgi kind of animation now blended in with things and he doesn't do it so much to where it's annoying but he uses it in the right way but he's also like this creative enough to where like parakeets are the main villain and okay here's a kicker for you so i watched the american english dubbed version Robert Pattinson does the voice of the heron, and he talks with like a voice like this, and he says, "I'm going to get you down here. You've been invited." Sounds like Pennywise. You've your services have been requested, but um, he does. Robert Pattinson kills it in the role as the heron, but um, I don't know who does the voice of the. But it has like a Christian Bale does the voice of his son of the his father. Uh, Scarlett Johansson might do the voice of his uh, stepmother or his mother. I can't remember which I thought I heard her in. But um, Dave Batista does the voice of the lead parakeet. And he's like this general who's like ready to kick ass. But this world exists on this like tower that is built on this property. And like... I obviously don't know much about Japan heritage and stuff, but there's somehow the way he's able to kind of show us these things. And I don't know if he knows it's going to be seen to an American audience, but it's like, I feel like I'm also learning about Japanese culture in a way when I watch his movies. And that's what I find interesting. But like, mostly it's the imaginative world. Like I love that the parakeets were these like, evil like man-eating villains i like that when you enter this world there was like time doors and he was able because the whole movie is about like him i there it's definitely like a metaphor about acceptance and grief and um because like he has to accept his the, the the his new stepmom is also his aunt because it's his dead mother's sister which is kind of weird, but again, I don't know Japanese culture, and everyone seems like pretty okay and that this is normal. So I'm like, who am I to judge? And um, but like, he refuses to call her mother. He only says, "That's my my father is quite fond of her." But throughout the movie, he is trying to save her from the world that the heron brought her, uh, like forced her into, because she is also pregnant with what is to be her. I think it ends up being a little brother in the end. I can't remember now. But, um, yeah, throughout the movie, he is trying to save this woman who resembles his mother because it is his mother's sister. But, again, he's refusing to call her mother. And, like, the heron is, like, 
the boy's kind of guide after the boy like stops him with one of these specifically numbered arrow uh winged arrows and so he enters the world and he goes on this adventure he meets people michelle rodriguez does a voice of this um i can't remember the pirate what's her what she goes by but like and also the little creatures that are created through there which low-key are let's face it sperm because we're told that they're going into quote-unquote our world to become babies so and they're white little dots that are just flowing in a pattern but yeah like even like seagulls i love how he animates animals like and especially like that's what i want to say about his animation it's detailed yet like I, I'm not, like, the biggest anime guy. Like, I watch Dragon Ball Z. We've talked about Dragon Ball stuff. You watch the Dragon Ball movies more than I have. But um, he adds such detail to these characters at times. But, like, he knows how to create these worlds. And he knows how to create this style. And he he commits to it. And I don't know. I just love the movie. It was... That's why it's also above Spider-Man for me because I, I I genuinely just think like the fact that this man's been doing these movies almost 40 years now and it doesn't feel like he's missing a touch. He makes these like it's a moving story because at the end he finally does accept her as his mother because that's how he saves her. Like Like he's trying everything and there's like it's hard to explain without showing everyone. It's a, it's a visual movie, so if you have the chance to see it, I really recommend it because uh, the, it, it's really an interesting story told by an ingenious animated filmmaker. My legs hurt. Oh, okay. I was about to say, do you need a break? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that your number six, though, was... Iron Claw. Iron Claw. So we can go on to our top five. So, so for my number five, I went with a horror movie. It was one we briefly already talked about, but I personally think it's the best horror film of all, uh, not of this year. I almost said of all time. I was about to say, whoops, no, let's pump the brakes there. Um, the but, Exorcist. No, no, fuck. <laughs> not that new Exorcist bullshit. Um, but this was, uh, this was a movie directed by the Felipe. Felipe Brothers. Um, it's called Talk to Me. Um, it came out earlier this year. It was actually the very first movie to trigger the top ten list being created on my letterbox, um, and it stayed on ever since. It is the I, I we've are, and I did an entire review episode on it. So if you guys want to listen to it, you can. But it's it's such a great representation of depression and and. Um, loneliness and like addiction and drug use and it was it was honestly a movie that has such a simple like uh not not compromise premise it has a such a simple premise but yet the way it is affected and the the way that like it has one of my the scariest scenes i've ever seen depicted and it's when um Riley is being like they're trying to figure out what's going on with Riley. He's in a coma pretty much after the, his hand accident, uh, with the hand, and um, and it, it 
it looks like he's in physical hell and he's being eaten alive by demons and it's terrifying it's scary but also like the ending is tells us like it, for one it's not a happy ending and also it's an ending that like tells us like this shit can keep going and going and going it doesn't matter what country where you're at eventually you know what even though the the sequel and i forget are they in egypt or something i forget where they are it's going to end up in america eventually you know it but um yeah i just i thought it was such i love the hand i love that as a prop um i really still want my own i know i can go on a24 and get an incense burner quote unquote um to uh to have but yeah man it was such a good movie I loved, uh, I don't want to say too much that I already didn't say in the review, but um, Sophie Wilde and it, it just in the, in the lead is phenomenal. She she really kicks, you know, like just hits it out of the park. Um, the fact that, and I know a lot of A24 horror films are about grief and, you know, death and how we handle it and stuff, but... It's it's the fact that like the party scenes and how they're using the hand is almost like a drug. It is being used and represented as if a drug, and it's like they can't stop doing it. Like they they literally have an expression of high afterwards, and they're like, "Man, I love that shit." Like uh, it gets better every time, you know, stuff like that. And again, I think. It has truly terrifying moments. It really had me glued to my seat the very first frame. And yeah, it's stayed on the top 10 the whole year. And that's why it's at number five. Uh, what is your number five, sir? Well, I had one movie, but I took it out of my top 10. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. I had John Wick before. Yeah. And then I started thinking about it. And then I was like, he hardly talks. And it's the same, like you brought up, it's the same thing. It's Every fight is relatively the same in that movie. Yeah. Like, especially and like... the whole rolling down the steps, that was... That pit, <laughs> when he was like up the stairs and then he rolled down and then like... Just again, kept rolling? Oh, here's Kane to save the fucking day. Like, why is Kane needed now? It just pissed me off. So, my number five is Mission Impossible. I I really that that was another one that was on the top ten for a long time and I, again, they cloned Tyrone came along and I was just like this movie is just so damn good. <laughs> I've always been a Tom Cruise fan. Um, I know Christie is not. But, <laughs> um, everything he kind of does is good. Well, it's like well, except for the Mummy. Um, yeah, the Mummy. The, is... I mean, he does have a few ones that. He tried to capitalize, like, on the I'm the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible guy now. But, but that was one, those were a few that didn't work. Maverick was one. This was a movie that they were trying to get Maverick numbers because Maverick was a huge success. Billion dollar movie. So they thought, like, this next Mission Impossible movie is going to do it. But the issue is the part one. That pushed a lot of people away. And then now... I don't know if part two is coming out next year. I don't think it's coming. I think they delayed it till 2025 because fast and furious in a sense. Here's the thing. Like again, I watched in it it, during 2023, 63 movies and only 14 of them are movies that I wouldn't watch again. 
And 2023 wasn't the most ideal time for movies. We had the director's strike, the writer's strike, and the actor's strike all happening, delaying several movies that were supposed to and come shows. out this year. Shows and TV shows. The Boys. But not even... There are so many movies um, that were on my list that were supposed to be out this year. The bike Riders or something like that. Oh, no, trust me. We'll get into those soon. But, um, yeah, I'm my actual top ten list into 2024, which we'll get to after our 2023 top ten list, most of these movies were supposed to come out this year that now they have to be here. But, yeah, um, no. But Mission that was such a good Mission Impossible, though. Like, it reminded me so much. There's a lot of granny angles, or I I think that's what it's called, where it's I like... like how a, he does his own or, no, it's called Dolly... Is it, no, Dutch angles. That's what it's called. There's a lot of Dutch angles where it's like the camera's like low and like to the angle. What hurts that movie for me, Ving Rhames kind of sucks in it. <laughs> like when he's like, Ethan, there's a bomb. It's going to go off. Like, thanks, Captain Obvious. And saying it in the most obvious kind of tone, like, it, I feel like Ving Rhames is just ready for retirement. I think that's where he is in his life. And that's okay. He's deserved it. He's Marcellus fucking Wallace, okay? He's about to... I was about to quote Pulp Fiction. I'm about to not say what I was going to say. Uh, <laughs> say what? One more time, motherfucker. No, no. That's not what he says. That's... Wait, what's it in uh, Neighbors? That ain't even... That ain't even Samuel Jackson. Or that's not even De Niro. That's Samuel Jackson. That's not even... <laughs> The Path of the Righteous Man. That's not even the same movie. <laughs> um, but no, uh, no, I loved... I'm so excited for part two whenever that comes out. But it's funny. The big stunt is him... They they advertise him jumping off the cliff on the motorcycle and, like, diving. But I don't even think that's the big stunt. I think the big, the bigger stunt is him trying to land on a train... Now, of course, he wasn't really going to land on a train, so he's like, oh, watch us jump off a cliff, which is cool, but compared to, like, the Halo jump and the um, the hanging off the plane stuff and uh, the Dubai Towers and all that shit... I cannot it, believe he did that. It, that's the thing, is he's willing to, like, go that extra mile for his fans, and also, nobody has anything bad to say about him. Um the woman from um, Ted Lasso, the um, Whittingham, I can't remember her first name, she said she will not listen to anyone's like bad talk about him because she said he was the most lovely, kind-hearted, and nicest person she's ever met on a, on a set and couldn't have loved working with him more. And so that tells me like Tom Cruise is just... You always hear about like him gifting people like extraordinary gifts on movie sets, like... I forget, like, he gave the the crew of Maverick, like, really nice watches for Christmas and shit oh, like that. Like, very nice ones, though. Like, engraved and shit, too. And, like, he is, like, one of the last true blockbuster superstars. And he is not going to be able to do this any longer. Like, we're not going to have Ethan Hunt much longer. And every moment we have of this dude, we need to take it in because... We don't have any other star like him. Tom Hardy could be this star. He is a fucking what is it? Jujitsu, the Tai Tai Chi, whatever the whatever he fuck he can do. He's a the best at it in he's, the world. So he's he can do stunts. He can be that guy. But for some he's reason, weirdly good at making his voice different in every movie. <laughs> dude, uh, that's dude. The bike riders though, like. like 
when he talks about legacy. Uh, but but like, what was the I his barely, Dutch I, colonial kind of accent in I the Revenant? I can barely understand him. And was it Bronson? Bronson, he kind of talks like this. Yeah, like, yeah. and then uh, the guy, the twins, the oh, one that's uh, got glasses. Oh, I cannot uh, understand that. No. <laughs> well, because that's where it's a really English English accent comes out. <laughs> Rochival. I want to know how long that took him to do to play two parts. Two main characters. Well, you gotta think like well, I think with for starters he would have to have the glasses, which isn't hard, and then his hair I think is slightly slicked back differently between the brothers. So I feel like they they did slight variations to quickly change him a little easier, but I could be wrong. I haven't so seen that. So you think they were doing the one scene twice so he could play? Oh no! They do. They have to do it twice. Well, they I mean, have to do each I mean, scene like, twice. They with wouldn't him. do like um, one and, brother for one day, come back the next day, do the other brother. I mean, they could do that, but that, but either way, like every scene with them both in it is shot at least twice, unless it's like he's on the couch over there and he's over uh, at the kitchen table where or I the am. other brother's not even in the scene. Exactly. You know, it's there. There are ways to around that, but um, but yeah. So, number four. Um, So, this is where things are going to start getting hairy for me among the movie community. Number four, and people are going to say this is low. I put Oppenheimer. God damn. Yep. (laughs) Here's why. The bomb goes off too soon. The bomb goes off too soon. I love the fact that we get, like, the the last hour and a half is interesting. There is a lot of great acting, a lot of things happening, but it's almost too much of it. Like, I don't need an hour and a half of court proceedings. And I don't need to see Robert Downey Jr. leaving Albert Einstein and hearing about, he said something to Einstein that day. He said something to Einstein. He said Einstein. It's a guilty conscience. Like... Well, no, it's him being paranoid because he thinks he's he's so self-involved that he thought, you know, like anything that whatever he was thinking of, regardless of what Oppenheimer said to him, which was the complete truth. Oh, don't worry about it. He'll be fine eventually. Um, The thing is, it's like he thought for years it was about him. And I get that. But we're reminded that way too much. And we get too many flashbacks of that day. I love Christopher Nolan. I think he does phenomenal. I think this is one of his best works. But that last hour and a half hurts it for me. The bomb going off very middle of the movie. Because that's what people come to see. Like, let's face it. We know what this movie's about. And I get it's about his life before the bomb and after the bomb. But I just feel like we don't need as much as we get. Now, it's all, again, love this fucking, it's a four and a half out of five for me. But also the female characters heard it for me. Because Florence Pugh is just one note, I want sex, but no emotions, but I have all the emotions, but sex. That's her. And then Emily Blunt is just too good of an actress to have the very minimal role she gets. But that's a Christopher Nolan problem. He's always had a female character problem. Um, but still, I... It's still up there high. Number four out of the 63 I've seen today, or this year. Like, 
today. (laughs) Today, I watched. Let me tell you, man. (laughs) A lot of uh, a lot of aspirin, if you know what I mean. Um, No, it's still a great movie, but it's just the the bomb going off when it does. I I what? But that soundtrack, though, the acting like this is a who's who's of actors, and we notice Barbie's not on my top ten. Oppenheimer, I think, is more successful than Barbie in the sense of people. Barbenheimer was a huge thing this year. Barbenheimer changed how movies should be released, and a lot more movies should do that double feature kind of thing. Because here's here's the thing with Oppenheimer, or let me let me rephrase that. Here's the thing with Barbenheimer. It was a phenomenon that movie movie geeks, movie nerds, movie Critics movie, if you were a film person, if you were a movie buff, you are going to do the Barbenheimer experience. I did Barbenheimer. Mine was a couple days separated because that's a fucking lot to do in one day. But there were people who actually went and did it. And I respect them for it. It's awesome. It was. I did do it during the weekend, though. I made sure to do it during the weekend, at least. Um, but Oppenheimer... I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like it almost Barbie did become a it is the highest grossing movie of two, 2023. It is a billion dollar movie, but you had people seeing it just because of the Barbenheimer thing. Like there were people seeing it who probably wouldn't have usually seen it. Let's be real. Um, and then there's also like you have the dominated crowd of Barbie fans like the fans who are barbie people so barbie had a lot going yeah barbie had a larger kind of and kids my my daughter saw it in theaters my almost six-year-old daughter sitting in theaters and i'm not that's not me making a judgment thing like that's my point of like young kids saw this movie that's the demographic it kind of had and that's what it appealed to oppenheimer was an r-rated biopic about the man who invented the atom bomb like you can't market that towards kids but it is almost a billion dollar movie so in my eyes the fact that it could still make that much movie it's i i'm probably wrong on this statement but i think it's one of the if not the highest rate um earned r-rated film of all time i could be wrong though do not quote me on that um but the fact that it's almost there with having the far less appeal that Barbie was able and the reach that Barbie was able to have, to me, it makes me see that if Barbenheimer didn't happen, if Barbie was the one or Oppenheimer changed that release date of July 21st, 2023, who knows the numbers? Who knows? Now, that's not to say that people who wouldn't see Oppenheimer didn't go see it for the same reasons, but still, the fact that an R-rated movie biopic about uh, some guy from the fifties who invented the atom bomb. Like that's still a fucking achievement and a half. I tell you what, and still again, hell of a movie, but yeah, Oppenheimer, definitely the best of the two movies of the Barbenheimer experience and number four on my top 10. Uh, Now to the number three. Now, wait, no. Did you say your number four? No. My bad. You go. <laughs> uh, I put knock at the cabin. Ooh, that is 
that is um that's surprising. That's surprisingly. I'm high. a Dave Batista fan. I can tell. But no, I I, st- I stand by my statement of I do think it was an underrated movie this year. I think it's going to be a cult classic. And I do think it was very well acted by... Well, except for Rupert Grant. I, I think, made that very clear. I did not like his acting. I still don't. <laughs> but, I, think, uh, I think this uh, movie broadened Dave Bautista's career where he could branch off into other things. I don't know if it's broadened it yet because we haven't gotten a chance to see it broadened yet. Now, he's going to be... He still has a lot of pra- projects ahead. I am curious if he's actually going to do the Gears of War thing. That it's one of those. It's like the role thing. was built for him. Exactly, like he is Marcus, but um, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But I do think what happened was, I think he's making very smart moves in the kind of projects he's doing now. To where he also did the Knives Out sequel, mm-hmm. which but he's kind of playing a semi version of himself, in my opinion, because he's a. Uh, well, we're not talking about that. That was last year's movie, but um, but yeah, no, hey, hey, I surprisingly high. He is, <laughs> but um, I I'm book. not against it being on someone's <laughs> top list, but I I am surprised at the position of he, it. <laughs> he is uh, probably out of the whole wrestling community the best actor. I know that's been like a thing stated recently. Like, is he the best? Well. I would say The Rock is more of a blockbuster. The The Rock is pretty much, and I know people don't like hearing this, but he is the equivalent of the Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I think Arnold Schwarzenegger is more successful. I think his movies were better, too. Over time, I um, think The Rock's going to overtake that. But... Nah, nah. I think but he's, he's winning he's he's just down. a better trained actor. Well, he t- when he... Now, this is where I give him some slack with Drax's. That's where he decided he wanted... He decided to take acting classes because he really wanted that role. Or no, was it that for Blade Runner 2049? Anyway, he did take acting classes. I I think it was for Blade Runner 2049 because he really wanted that role. And he does really well in that role because, like... I'm pretty sure he's a replicant in it. I could be wrong. You want to check? Oh, no, it's okay. I just need to rewatch the movie. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, surprising position, but I'm not against it being on anyone's list because I think it will be one of those movies revisited down the line. Especially, like, how it ends and, like, uh, again, yeah, we can talk. Well, well, it's on your list. We can talk about it. But, like, the fact that, like, it was all real. Like, everything was, the world was fucking ending. Like, dude, like, and just, like, it makes the sacrifice a little bit more heart-wrenching because he does he does it for his family. Mm-hmm. Like, he knows, like, it has to be him because he knows that his husband's not going to do it and that it, if, they, if he doesn't do it, then their daughter's not going to ever grow up and do the things that she's meant to do and... You know, as a as a father to a daughter, like I would, I'd give myself up to give her the world if that's what it took to save her. You know, that's that's being a father is knowing the sacrifice. Um, oh shit, low battery. Uh, <laughs> um, all right, so yeah, this was our number four. So now we are at our number threes. Now remember, beginning of this episode, 
about two hours ago. Uh, I'm kidding. I don't think we're two hours. We could be. I don't know. Um, I said I gave three movies, three movies, <laughs> the uh, five-star treatment, which... If anyone remembers, my I rate movies very differently because I don't believe any movie should be compared to any other. So that's why I say my top ten is kind of fluid. I do believe these are the top films of the year, and these three can be more interchanged than they could with the bottom seven. Because a lot of the bottom seven are four and a half, except for uh, nine and ten. Those are both four stars. That's They clone Tyrone and Theater Camp. Um, but... To start my number three, this one was directed by Alexander Payne, stars Paul Giamatti, as I mentioned earlier, along with uh, Dominic Sessa and uh, Divine Joy Randolph and Carrie uh, Preston and Brady Hepner and Ian Dolly, and that is The Holdovers. Um, it it was a movie, I saw the trailer, I, 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 I tell this every now and then, sometimes I can see a trailer and know if I'm really going to love the movie or not. And it was one of those ones where when I saw it, I was like, that really reminds me of like old, old movies from like the seventies and stuff. And I, and I talk countless times about my love of like older, like movies from the seventies and eighties all the time. And that's kind of the feel this movie has, like even how it plays out, it's like they use old logos from the company. They, (laughs) they use, uh, they use like sp- like they have the grainy looking film with the splotches on it, which they clone Tyrone. Like when I mentioned the black exploitation, it has a very seventies look to it in a way. Even though like, man, you gotta watch it. That movie's crazy though. Like, there's parts where like they find out that there's like drugs inserted into things that are like making them act a certain way. Like the fried chicken makes them just like crazy happy and laughing, and then like hair like they have like hair straightener that like calms them down and makes them like really like right calm (laughs) but it's like it's fucked up like what the people are doing but it's such again it's satire it's comedy it's humor there's drama in it. it it they clone tyrone i recommend it um but this one also though going back to our number three this one was just great. It was well acted. Uh, Paul Giamatti carries the movie. It's it's mostly him, but we got this this new kid, uh, Dominic Sessa. He this is his first role in a movie. He's kind of like the pain in the ass kind of like smart ass kid, but he does so well in it. And when the when there's times where he has to be emotional and he has to have these like deep moments with Paul Giamatti, um, who I again call it pissed off Feeny. Um, they just click. They have great chemistry. And then, like, uh, Divine uh, Joy Randolph, she is playing this mother who her son just – it's based during the time of Vietnam. So her son just literally died right before the holidays in Vietnam trying to earn his way into college. And, um, yeah, she does fucking phenomenal in the role. Um, she does, She's really heartbreaking. And, um, like, uh, there are other people that are held over in the movie, but they, like, find this weird way to, like, get them out of the movie, uh, later on. But, like, um, yeah, the whole movie is about, um, Paul and Angus's relationship as it builds because they're left 
together through all of Christmas break. So it is a Christmas movie, weirdly enough. Um, but um, uh, they eventually, like, like Paul, uh, Mr. Uh, his name's Paul Hunnam, and he's, like, a really, like, like I said, he's Nightmare Feeny, and he's all about rules and stuff, but he's also an alcoholic and just kind of wants to just be by himself, read his books, and drink all day. But then this Angus kid kind of challenges him, says, you know, I need stuff to do. I want to do stuff. And so eventually after a while, they start to get to know each other, build this bond and everything. And when they start really getting along and start becoming these friends and looking out for each other, that's when the movie cooks for me. When Because, like, there's these set of kids that are left over and then they get, like, rescued pretty much from this rich kid's dad who's taking them skiing but all the other kids who were held over can get over can get a hold of their parents but angus's mom and dad and stepdad are like absentee parents so he's stuck there with them and that's how he ends up alone with uh paul and mary uh mary's the cook um and so yeah like as the movie progresses they become more close and more friendly with each other and again, Paul Giamatti, like, he's one of my favorite actors. Like, he really makes this unlikable dickhead likable by the end. Like, by the time, the when the movie starts, you're like, why is this guy such an asshole to all these kids? But then when the movie ends, you're like, you know what? I just want him, like, whatever he's doing, I hope it's something good for him. Because you just want him to be happy by the time that movie ends. And he gets fired, but he gets fired for all the right reasons. And I mean, I know it sounds funny, but yeah, no, it's it's truly a remarkable movie. Um, and it, it, like, and there's like aspects with Angus and his real father that you find out throughout the movie that they're really touching. And again, it's... It, it reminded me so much of those movies from the 70s that I love, and it's just hell well-acted, well-shot, really puts you back in that time period, and so that's why I had to give it five stars and put it as my number three. In your number three? Well, we already covered this one, Oppenheimer. Oh, yeah, yeah. You want to go into it? I mean, it was a good movie to me, but... <laughs> Uh, oh no no dude the this one thing i will say that is the first movie i have ever watched where the interrogate where is it really even an interrogation but like a how he feels i think that's really masterfully shot is like when they're asking him questions but we're seeing it gets intense the lighting's like flickering it seems like they're yelling at him at like high volumes and but when we're cut back to reality, they're actually, like, just super calm. They're just sitting there, just looking at him, very normal. But, like, they're, like again... They fucked him over. I don't hate the last hour and a half, but I don't think it needs to be an hour and a half. It could have been 45 minutes. That's what it should have honestly been, 45 minutes. But I under I know they were trying to... It was almost like we were getting too much of Robert Downey Jr.'s story. It was like they almost wanted it to be his story also instead of just Oppenheimer's. Now, we almost kind of need that so that we understand why he's being pretty much interrogated by the country he helped win the war. 
But yeah, no, it is a hell of a movie. It's again, I think I put it up there with one of Christopher Nolan's best, uh, top three for sure in Christopher Nolan's. Um, Inception's my favorite, or Interstellar. I don't know. It flips between. I fucking love Interstellar. The music. The fucking music, and then Tenet's up there for me. Well, not in my top three, but Tenet's up there. But dude, the that music, beautiful. Hans Zimmer's a masterful. Just, but no, Oppenheimer is a fantastic movie. It's, I do think that might win Best Picture. Or if not Best Picture, well, Best Director might go to someone I'm going to mention here very shortly. But uh, for your number two, maybe. All right, let's go. Uh, Number two, okay. (laughs) Well, it is actually my number two, and it's going to be very unpopular. (laughs) But I put Killers of the Flower Moon. All right, I put this as well. Killers of the Flower Moon. (laughs) All right, yeah. So we can both talk about this. No, it's. This is a movie, Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese have been working together for 50 years. This is their 10th movie together, if I'm remembering right. And somehow, when watching this, you feel this artist fucking painting and just making music. Again, it's a five-star movie. The top three can almost be interchanged to any way you want it because these are just great movies to me. Um, Lily Gladstone, um, Martin Scorsese is obviously not an Indian or Native American, sorry. Um, He is not Native American. So he told the story of Molly the best he could. And I I found it to be... I personally thought it was respectful I thought it is a kind. Of, it dwelled into the culture decently well, if to, to me at least. Um, I am white, uh, so <laughs> making that clear. Um, just I, I, I just want to make it clear, like I am speaking from the the perspective of the white. dramatic pause afterwards. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be real. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we got that, and then um, yeah. Um, but no, Lily Gladstone as Molly, she really, when she's getting sicker and sicker throughout the whole thing, and she's, you you think she's about to die, and they when she gets saved by the FBI, you're fucking cheering, like, you're, fuck yeah, because you want Ernest gone at that point, you're like, fuck Leo at this point, because the thing is, it's like, again, this, I do not, everything this man did was not out of love. Let's be clear. In real life, I do not think someone you love, you do that to. You do not poison them. You do not tell them you're giving them insulin and then put poison into them. You just don't. Um, Just because of fucking money. But, um, oh, God. De Niro as, like, the villain is great in it. Um, DiCaprio as our protagonist, but also kind of, like, the person we don't want to succeed because molly's who we want to succeed i would put her more of a protagonist than than leo even though leo is technically the star but like i think one of my favorite scenes is the we're going to be quiet for a while scene storm it's uh well it's powerful (laughs) so we need to be quiet for a while It's 
good for the crops, that's for sure. Just be still. With the rain, because I fucking love rain. And I've always thought it was a very powerful... I think rain's very powerful. I've, I, It's supposed to be cleansing. That's what it's always supposed to represent. But it's the fact that, like... Well, and also there's the... I don't know what you just said, but it must have been Indian for Handsome Devil. And she, like, laughs. But I always love, like... I don't know what she's saying in Native American. But it always sounds like she's going, shit. Like, I just <laughs> love that about her. But, um... But that whole, like, scene, it's where you can kind of see where their relationship is truly beginning because she is sharing something of her culture with him. Like, because he, if for, I mean, he is trying to, the scene starts, well, no, the very beginning of the scene doesn't start there, but, like, that portion of the scene starts with him trying to close the window. She tells him, no, leave it open, and then, then you know, what I just said, we're going to be quiet for a while. And... <laughs> It, it kind of, like, rain's good. It's good for the crops. <laughs> like, it, it kind of shows this different dynamic. Like, she's seeing nature as this beautiful different things. And, again, his priorities being money. It's kind of like this, their relationship's beginning, but we're kind of seeing in this very important moment what their priority at this time is. And he's thinking about crops. So, and, again, he's a gambler, money man, whatever. But, again... Piece of shit for poisoning his wife. But, again, Martin Scorsese's been making films for 50 years and still makes a movie. It's an, it's an American epic. Let's make it clear. This was what I would define as an American epic, a new American epic. I love that he comes in at the end to read Molly's real-life obituary. I feel like it adds a little something to it of, like, I know of the story I told you, but I need you to know everything that I can possibly tell you about this that I can personally tell. Because, again, he is not Native American, so he's doing the best he can. And um, I'm waiting for Criterion to release it. I know it's available on digital right now, but I just know Criterion's going to release a Blu-ray of it, and I'm going to want the Blu-ray of it, so I'm waiting on that to happen. But um, it was really hard not to make this my number one, but I think... My reasoning for the my number one will make sense, but um, still, it, it, it's just like this is really the top notch film of a director who has truly just mastered cinema in a way that he said, "I want I've told every kind of story of this country of crime. Now let me tell a truly ugly story, but I'm going to make it." beautiful almost like like there's a part where um the fields are being burned and it's a very goodfellas-esque moment for i think and like de niro is like watching it over but like the music and every i and like Ernest, i think it's the scene where Ernest also takes the medicine to like kind of it, it kind of see what molly's experiencing but um yeah like everything that's happening in that scene it's like what? How are you fucking cooking, man? How are you cooking? <laughs> how are you doing this, man? I love Someone it. Someone cooked here. Somebody cooked here, and his name is Scorsese. <laughs> um, but yeah, solid number two, but yeah. So, now the number one. And it's going to be controversial. Maybe not, I don't know. Maybe a lot of other people have. I haven't really... I've only heard a few top lists, and weirdly enough, 
this movie has ended up on a few top lists. And I'm not going to say a lot of names. I'm going to try my best I to say in names. Say because it if it shouldn't be it really shouldn't be a surprise at this point if you've been listening to this fuck this podcast as long as you have been. About to take out your cock and what come, come, <laughs> come all over Godzilla. No, Godzilla minus one to be exact. Godzilla <laughs> minus one as number one. We are at ten percent battery shit, so we gotta like get this all in here. This movie did not have to be what it was, and it. Became something... No, no, truly. No, no. I'm t- I just thought about the take out your cock. <laughs> no, no, no. You're going to make me edit out shit, man. Don't be... Don't pull this shit. But... <laughs> but... Oh, I've never, like, thought I would walk into a Godzilla movie and be as moved as I was. It is not just a story about a monster savaging New York... Or not New York, uh, Tokyo, and just destroying it. It is a movie about... Um, forgiveness it's about a movie about moving on it's about um yeah it's a movie about someone who it's about a man who he is ridiculed for not killing himself pretty much he is a kamikaze pilot he's not a warrior he what they don't see him as that they see him as that's the reason why they lost the war and why everyone's dead is because he didn't do his job but by the time this movie ends the fucking journey everyone goes to this man who he genuinely did not believe he deserved to live fucking is told to live. He is told by the one man who blamed him for the death of, I think there was like 10 men on that island in the very beginning of the movie. He's told to live your life now. Live, pretty much live for these people that have died. Um, how I translated it. And throughout the whole movie, he is tormented and it's really, again, there's messages about PTSD and everything, but he is tormented by the, the, the memories of these people who've died, and he, he questions if he actually left that island during the first Godzilla attack. And in the end, like, when everyone sees that he lives, he's alive, he, he got the injector seat, he didn't, like, kamikaze into Godzilla's mouth. Um, the fact that, like, his the one person who wanted him dead that day like breaks down and cries it's something so i'm going to say beautiful because it shows like you are more than just your past you are more than your biggest mistake you are more than the things you didn't do you're you are more than the things you did do you there are the the future you have doesn't have to be what the things you did you are not defined by that and and a lot about this is about moving on. Uh, there's a lot. This was written during the 2020 pandemic, so a lot of this Godzilla was used as a metaphor for COVID, um, and like a lot of this is about how the government responded, the government response time, and how it you know a lot of people died in that in, over there, and so um, there's so many layers to this movie. It is also like just a fucking awesome Godzilla movie. Like, and it was made for under $15 million and it's made over 70 million now domestically or, uh, globally, which is phenomenal. Um, it, it has such great characters in it. Um, I'm going to fuck up their names, but, um, you have Kiyochi, you have, uh, Naroki, 
Naroki fucking breaks my heart. She's my favorite character. She is played by, and I'm going to try to get this name right, Minami Hayambi. Um, and then it's, I know, I'm trying. Um, and then there's uh, Kenji Noda, who he's uh, nicknamed Doc. And there's Shiro, who he's the kid. Uh, uh, Mr. T Tachibana is the one who, like, is, uh, our protagonist is uh, Keochi. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, but there's, again, there's so many characters. There's so many great people in this that you just, you really start caring about and you attach yourself to. Um, and, like, the fact that, like, these people, like, it's, it's a movie about community, too, because all these people are, like, orphaned during this because we're, we're, uh, we're brought to a, a town that's been bombarded and there's so many people lost because our lead, Kyochi, he, he, Kyo, I think that's how it's pronounced, um, he, he lost his parents and so did it, uh, um, Naroki. And she actually, when we meet her, or is it Naroko? Naroki? Naroko? I think it's from Naroko. Um, when she, we meet her, she's actually taking care of a baby that's not even hers. Like, she just found this child and said, because her, that child's parents died during the bombings, like hers did, and so did his. And again, this brings back the guilt of, like, maybe if I did my duty, none of these people would be dead. Maybe my parents would still be alive. But again, it goes back to, like, towards the end that, like, he has to, it's, uh, he has to forgive himself. He has to move on, or... And the thing is, it's like a lot of the movie is like, it's about moving on because they need to, they, because it's called minus one because when Japan, after the war, Japan was at zero, that's where they were at. And so when Godzilla attacks them, when they're still trying to rebuild, that puts them at minus one. Um, I know that probably isn't the greatest explanation. You can Google it if you're that confused about it. It's not that hard to look up, but, um. I cried multiple times. There's a father-daughter aspect of this. When I was actually, I actually rehearsed, not rehearsed, but I actually thought about what I wanted to say about this movie and made sure I didn't look you in the eye so much that, uh, um, to make sure I did not cry because I was crying every time I was talking about like just our lead and like his journey because he's truly tortured. Now I will admit some of his acting's a little much, but he is the only one I would say that about anyone's acting throughout the whole movie. But even so, like, the special effects are phenomenal. It has one of my, like, cinematic moments is, like, after um, we see one of his, Zilla's atomic blasts, like, he's, like, looking up at it. And it's just a phenomenal shot. But it's, and then, like, there's very much a Jaws influence with a lot of it, especially the boat scenes. And Jaws is one of my all-time favorite movies. So the fact that it resonates with it, I don't know if this movie will get Oscar nominated. I don't know if it will get the recognition it deserves. It is one of the highest rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Its, it's earnings is well-earning of something that deserves to be praised. And the fact that it wasn't released English dubbed, it is Japanese and you have to read. And that's fine because guess what? It's a human story. You can tell a human story and not be in the same language because that's what it is. Because you understand what's happening because 
these are things that are universal. These are themes that are universal, and it's so well done. And the fact that it happens in a Godzilla movie blew me away, and that's why it's my number one movie of the year. It'd be worse if it was English dubbed. It would be because the the uh, I, we're okay. We have fifteen minutes, but we are at six percent. Yeah, that's what I say. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, but it's. It's it, it had to be number one. I just there was no other movie this year that affected me, and the the way I left it, I was like, I knew the second I left the theater, it was the best movie I saw this year. Um, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, I it, it was gonna. I, if you've been listening, it was gonna be the number one the whole time, and yeah, there you go. <laughs> I think it was the most accurate Godzilla. I don't like the Americanized ones. What are you trying to say accurate? You know he doesn't exist, right? No, like the, the, <laughs> old, the older Oh, version. no, no, yeah. Like, this one is almost like a soft reboot, if yeah. in a way. Um, but uh, it, every... ends, it ends in a way that can still go on, but it was just... Because everything that you said there, literally I've heard from pretty much everyone that has seen the movie. I've heard so many people like... Um, I have, a fr- I have a friend named Heather who goes to uh, horror hound conventions, um, her and her husband do, and um, she her, her husband was a Zilla fan, she's not, and she left the movie loving it. Like, and so that's my point is like, this movie is somehow, and this is what Parasite did, like Parasite is a phenomenal movie, and but this one is just, it, this one's also yeah, in that. that guy. Yeah, the lead, the one that leads. Yeah, sadly, um, but um, yeah, number one movie for me this year. And it just I left the movie theater knowing it was just that was the best thing I watched this year, and um, it will not get the recognition. It will. I think sadly, I mentioned that movie Poor Things earlier, and I'll get and maybe I can get into. It. I I won't get into it. I can see why people love it. It is definitely an artsy fartsy film. But it's also, like, it feels like it wants to be and trying to be that. Like, I don't like when it doesn't feel organically like that. Like, it almost has to have a flow to it. And it's just, like, I'm being this way just to be this way. It it felt like... That's kind of how... I don't know why it has that feel to me. It just did. I just... Again, that, that moment where I say I watch a trailer and I either know I will or won't even like the best looking trailers I always go I don't think I'm gonna like that movie um that was one where the first trailer I saw I was like that's not gonna be good and I mean it's not bad I can again I gave it a three out of five but yeah uh what's your number one same same it can't be anything else it's I listen to a horror movie podcast. I don't. Maybe I mentioned this earlier. I don't yeah, think. I, oh, be, but it's the fact that it was number one in a horror movie podcast because there are truly like the very first Godzilla attack is genuinely kind of scary. I mean, wouldn't you be scared? Oh no, dude! I'd be fucking terrified. Like the fact that he doesn't the atomic breath is so. But cool. he doesn't even like use it. That he's just literally chewing. Pe- he is the T Rex in uh, Jurassic Park in that first scene, and then but when he does the first breath on the uh, the, the ship, spikes kind of like. Oh, I love the spike effect too. But again, less than fifteen million. Like it doesn't make sense how you Marvel has no excuse for their shitty effects. It makes the <laughs> Americanized one that's in Kong, the one coming out here soon. Looks the it makes the Americanized one look like shit. The design of this con this is my favorite. But besides Godzilla two thousand and probably Zilla or, or 
Godzilla. I think it's Godzilla versus Ghidorah ninety one. Those are my favorite designs of Godzilla. Um, but yeah, like uh, I I could not ask for a. Because I, I remember seeing the previews for it. And also, like, the boat scenes are phenomenal. I love every boat scene. Again, it reminds me of Jaws. Those, I was on the edge of my seat like, oh, my God, are they going to about to? Because how does a small-ass fishing boat compete against Jaws when a giant USS ship comes and Zilla says, hold on, I'm going to go underwater and an atomic blast it from below. That was the sickest kill in that whole movie, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah. That was the top ten. Um, real fast before we uh, uh, end this, because we got 3% battery here in very few minutes. Um, here are a few movies. Uh, first off, again, we just want to say Happy New Year to everyone. And as we go into this new year, I'm going to quickly rifle off ten movies I can't wait to see. So we don't have much time here, and our battery's running low, so we're going to go quick here with this... Uh, here, okay, so here are the 10 films I'm looking forward to going into 2024. Uh, Dune Part 2, which was supposed to come out this year. Ghostbusters uh, Frozen Empire, that was also supposed to come out this year. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, uh, I don't know if that was supposed to. The next Bong Joon-ho film, Mickey 17, starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, the net, This movie that I've seen trailers for that like looks like something scary that could happen called Civil War. Um, Furiosa, a Mad Max saga. I'm really excited for that one. Uh, The Bike Riders, a movie, another movie that was supposed to come out this year. Um, this movie that is supposed to be, it's a Netflix movie, but it's, has, uh, Adam Sandler in it. It's called Spaceman. And A Quiet Place Day One, which is a prequel. It's not from, uh, John Krasinski, but I, he is producing it, but, I, I I'm pretty, I, I just love those movies. And then the last one I'm looking forward to, Argyle, with uh, Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa, and all them. I think that looks really funny and good. Uh, do you have anything real quick? Argyle. I'm looking forward to that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's so many good actors in that one, too. Oh, it's going to be good. But, yeah. So, yeah, that's all we got for t- you guys. We're uh, running low. We're running low, so we're going to run away now. But uh, thank you for joining us, and thank you for joining us this year. Uh, like and subscribe and share, please. But most of all, Happy New Year, and as we always say, bonjour. Sadly, folks, within any given year, there are movies that are just too awful, too awful to bear and too awful to witness. During this last section, if you've listened this far, you will hear about some of the movies I absolutely hated this year. Um, Yeah, uh, me and Cody didn't get to record this section together last night because my phone was at 1% when we ended, but I couldn't possibly release this episode without talking about some of the worst movies I saw this year. Um, Now, there are some movies that I would deem as guilty pleasures that came out. Like I said, I've seen a lot of movies this year, and to name a few, that I would probably put into the guilty pleasure uh, spectrum in the future. 
for instance, uh, Transformers Rise of the Beast. Um, I know it's not the most ideal movie and it's not really liked, but the ending where it's tied in with G.I. Joe fucking blew my mind. Um, I really kind of enjoyed Renfield in the cheesiness that it was. Um, again, it, a guilty pleasure. These are guilty pleasures of from this year that I'm naming off. Um, and uh, another one that I would kind of put in that realm that it wasn't a bad movie, but I just haven't really heard a lot of people talk about it in the most positive sense. But I thought, I think it's a good representation of like, if you want a movie that tell that is the definition of anxiety and the fear of just being afraid of being on edge 24 hours of your life if you're someone who's anxious all the time Bo is afraid is I I thought was really good but um on my letterbox d review I I stated that it was that kind of movie where all the ingredients were right it has the right actors in it it has the right director it has the the kind of story that uh, this director would probably that does well usually telling because Ari Aster is kind of ahead of the game in terms of um, just directors that have elevated like for instance horror I know he's getting that credit a lot for what he's done with the horror genre with Midsummer and um, of course Hereditary which I don't know which one people would consider to be his more famous of the two but yeah anyway um there, there again we talked about the movies we liked but now we have to talk about some movies we hated i'm not going to bring up much i'm only going to name five movies that i truly hated that i just want to throw under the bus right now um again as i stated earlier only 14 movies are on my list of movies i would just never see again um the first one i'm going to mention is the flash we've mentioned it several times but the flash was just one of those huge disappointments it does have one redeemable quality in the fact that michael keaton comes back as batman and he does really well under under the cape and cowl again but um other wise besides him uh, the cgi is awful the effects are awful the story is completely butchered of what the flashpoint story is supposed to be um every time i talk about that movie i always discover something more i hate about it so it, i had to mention it uh first and foremost another movie i just really hated this year and it's one of those movies that if I guarantee it was a different script and they just threw a very famous name on it to give it some recognition. And that's The Exorcist Believer. Um, it is truly like the worst of the sequels of The Exorcist franchise, of the entire franchise. Um, David Gordon Green should not handle horror properties. Um, I like the 2018 Halloween. The second one's all right, but uh, Halloween Ends is... I would rather watch Halloween's again than Exorcist Believer. Let's just put it that way. Um, the Exorcist Believer was two hours of just, I couldn't tell you what. Um, the characters, like, they try to make the lead girl, like, as close to Reagan McNeil as possible. But then I didn't like the aspect of two girls because one girl goes kind of less explored than the other and the girl who gets less explored suffers the worst fate than the girl who is explored um 
And I know uh, one person in particular likes to defend this and claim that they tried something different, but they didn't try anything different. Let's let's stop claiming that they tried something different. What they did was they tried to do this thing where they wanted to make an exorcist film and they're like, let's try to do something with uh, adding a bunch of different religions into it and make the religion Avengers or some bullshit like that. And then like there's all this thing about togetherness and then no, not one person in that exorcism scene are doing, they're not doing anything together. Like everybody's off doing their own thing. And that's why it's such a chaotic scene. And Leslie Odom Jr. is such a fucking wasted talent. 90% of the time, he's just bending, getting, kneeling down, looking intensely, and then putting his hand by his face. That's all he does 90% of the movie. Um, Ellen Burstyn is a fucking wasted uh, cameo. That's all she is. They hype it up so they can have this connection to the original Exorcist and they fucking waste it. It is disrespectful to not only the character, but I feel to both William Peter Blightley and to um, William Fricken, who were the original creators and proprietors of the Exorcist franchise and who they were honestly the people who made it the phenomenon it was. And David Gordy Green came in this year and took a shit on it. Um, The next one I want to bring up is one that it was just an utter disappointment and everyone knows me as a Zack Snyder guy, but, and I, I kind of blame Netflix for it, for giving us a shorter PG 13 version of it. But I have to say rebel moon part one, uh, the fire child or whatever the fuck it's called, um, completely just, it's, I I don't know I don't know what's happening the whole movie it just it there's a lot of setup to where the setup gets like diminished by the end but by the time we hit the end I'm really surprised we're at the end because I feel like as much things as that are we are seeing and witnessing it feels like nothing actually happens and I know it's a part one but even with a part one part two like you need but part one needs to feel like its own film still while part two, even though it's a continuation still needs to feel like its own film. And, um, it was just honestly a real big disappointment because I'm real big. I've claimed, and again, this is one of those things where I see in the trailers and I was like, it kind of looks like a star Wars ripoff, but it doesn't even feel that much of a star Wars ripoff anymore. I mean, it definitely, I, I guess the space aspect, but if anything, it feels like a weird, like retelling of the magnificent, uh, magnificent seven mixed in with, there was another movie I was thinking about while watching it, but yeah, I was just highly disappointed in that. So I had to mention that's one of the worst of the year. Another one, and we keep talking about how bad Marvel did, but uh, one that was truly bad this year that they released was Ant Man: The Quantum uh, Quantum Mania, um, the starring the now non Kang Jonathan Majors. It, it was his first major movie role as the tit, as that character, and um, it got wasted. Um, the movie was just uh, I I I'm I'm gonna go on record and say I enjoyed the first two Ant Man films. This one though was particularly just just not as good. Um, there was a lot wrong with it. I didn't like the new Casey to be honest with you. I have nothing wrong with Cat Catherine Newton. I just don't like what they did with her. I didn't I didn't like that. We went into the quantum realm and we met all these characters, but I couldn't t- I cannot sit here and tell you any of those characters' names because. 
they don't feel important to the larger MCU. Especially because, like, I I mean, I get where we have to meet Kang and this is where Kang's been trapped or whatever. But also, like, I feel like MCU's just, the, the Marvel's just been handling, mishandling Kang. And Loki, they did all right with it. But let's be honest, Kang was fucking weak in that shit. And in, the, in Quantumania, like, he gets beaten by a... a army of ants so easily after he like makes people disintegrate but he can't make a bunch of ants disintegrate and then he gets punched like he just gets punched in the face once and gets sent into god knows where and it just again if the mcu has felt very disconnected and now it just feels very like what the fuck do we do next kind of thing like it's up in the air it's far from where it's been and quantumania uh, between that or Thor Love and Thunder, I don't know which is worse, but it's it's either the worst Marvel film or one of the worst Marvel films, in my opinion. And my last one that I'll mention, there are a couple, There's, I mean, like I said, there are 13, 14, that, I think it's 13, that um, I will never watch again or I do not care to watch again. And the last one I'll say, for argument's sake, because out of the remaining... It's either Expendables 4 or Fast X. Both of those movies were just awful. Expendables 4 is the most unnecessary sequel, and Fast X is just like, do you guys even remember your roots? Do you guys remember the very first Fast and Furious? Because that movie is really... that That's a movie. Like That's actually a movie with plot, and it's entertaining still, and we enter the world of street... Like Street racing became so big around like where we live in Ohio. Um after the release of that movie and it's like it changed the culture of street racing it, it in my opinion i could be wrong i'm not really in that culture to know it too well but yeah like um but fast x like I, you could it's clear that vin diesel has kind of taken the reins of the creative control of where it's all leading but i don't think they even know where it's supposed to go but everything it, it was just I, I just don't know why people read that script and threw money at it and said, yes, let's make it. I just don't understand that. I don't ex- understand that with the Expendables 4, The Exorcist Believer, Quantumania, The Flash. Those were uh, those were like the five worst. I'm going to mention, I'll just like bl- just name off the others. I won't go into descriptions, but the other ones on my list are Shazam! Fury of the Gods, um, Insidious the Red Door, Meg 2 the Trench, the Last Voyage of the Demeter, uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Cocaine Bear, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, um, uh, Leave the World Behind. And those are those are the worst movies I saw. Um, Leave the World Behind. I feel like that one's going to be a little bit of a whoa, man, whoa, whoa. But it, that movie was all just it was all style and very little substance, and that's was my biggest problem with it. But again, if if any movies, the far less bad one out of the bunch, it's it would be that one. That one, I, it, I just I have no interest in it. It was kind of like a wasted talent with Julia Roberts, uh, Marshall Ali, and um, Ethan Hawke, and, and it just the ending. I hated the ending especially, but we won't get into that. But yeah, that was our top ten, and you just heard my bottom five. Um, again, I want to thank everyone truly, truly for listening to this podcast. Um, it truly means a lot to me that I've I've been working on this show 
well over a year now and every episode I just I love doing it it just I love talking movies with you guys even even if I'm, I have to talk about bad movies you know it, it, any talk about movies is good talk if you ask me but um thank you again for listening if you want to leave your top tens in the comments uh wherever you find this or wherever you listen to um there's always uh in the description places where you can leave your voicemails and whatnot but yeah i'd love to hear from you guys uh love if you guys would share the page share the podcast um help those followers uh grow and whatnot but truly again thank you all for listening throughout 2023 2024 looks very promising so far on the movie front. There was a lot of good movies that were supposed to come out this year. Well, I believe there were supposed to be good movies that will be coming out next year. And I am truly just excited to go into them. Um, I'm excited for the new movies we're about to cover on the podcast. Um, I'm excited to see who might pop up on the podcast. But most importantly, I'm just excited for the next year um, and to go on this journey with you guys. So thank you again. And of course, Happy New Year.